What's in store for your business this week at Staples? Doing business like a CEO while saving like a CFO. Staples has all the supplies you need to run your business like a boss at prices that'll make your bookkeeper smile. Now that is an achievement. Everything from markers and pens to 2019 desk calendars. And right now, a 12-pack of Sharpie markers and an 8-pack of Expo dry erase markers are only $4.99 each. At Staples, where there's a whole lot in store. Ends one nineteen nineteen in-store only. The Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio is on the air. Good evening. Welcome to Weird Suits Inside the Gold Mine. Tonight, another attempt at completing the filmography of the perennial divisive Jesus Franco Minera. Here, which is the title of Inside the Gold Mine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Tonight, we're giving yet another look at the perennial divisive Jesus Franco Manera, favorite son of Spanish, French, and German cult, of, cult film aficionados everywhere. Once properly derided and critically despised, a large percentage of Franco's extensive filmography has since been given a reappraisal in the light of HD restorations from any number of cult, quote, boutique labels in the DVD era. Tonight, we are picking up after the Soledad Miranda era, when Franco regrouped and came back swinging with his longtime open relationship domestic partner and eventual wife, Lena Romay, who'd stand with him through the remainder of his 70s heyday and endure, if not drive, his long decline into the hardcore arena, before his belated resurgence pop into popularity and move into the very personal, if admittedly flawed, shot-on-video arena. We've spoken to the extremely prolific Senor Franco twice before, so let's hope that we can conclude it before the clock runs down on us one more time. As we wait for our co-host to show, we will take a quick break, and we will be back. And in keeping with the blog talk comedy routine, they decided until we close the show out to – Lewis, I'm oh, here. Hello, Lewis. <laughs> hey. Hey, so, hey. No. Uh, some Lewis is better than no Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We, I sincerely apologize for that. Actually, it wasn't my fault. Um, no, I think I think the uh, our host uh, network is having some issues tonight. Uh, normally, if I can get in through the way we would like this to happen, um, I would just uh, call in, dial in, and uh, I couldn't get through. Yeah. And so uh, I, I'm sure Doc Savage has been entertaining you uh, <laughs> very well. And uh, so, where were you, man? <laughs> in the where scheme of I? things, where were? Oh, you talking about as far as chess? Yeah, I was gonna say we got nowhere here. Uh, <laughs> all right, so uh, <laughs> basically, we had left off with a version among the living dead, and that is actually one of the earliest ones I had seen on VHS. And at the time, I was like, eh, it's sort of interesting, but it doesn't really go anywhere. I don't get it. Enough. You know, done. It was an oddity that I was glad to have seen. But then, you know, when it comes to DVD, you get the fuller print and you see more of it. It's not pan and scan anymore. It might not be the most pristine picture, but it's, you know, clean enough. 
And I did enjoy it. Now, I still don't think it's a masterpiece by any by any stretch of the imagination. No. Uh, but, you know, Howard Vernon's in it. Paul Muller's in it. Those are both pluses for me. After that, yeah, he has some regulars that he gets during this period. Uh, Anne LeBaire and Britt Nichols. Christina Von Blanc, God knows who she is. I think this is the only film she ever made. <laughs> it's kind of questionable. I mean, basically, as I recall it, it's this whole thing. is like, is it a dream? Is she really dead? You know, it, I don't know. What do you think about this one? I remember it as one of these really colorful big box, VHS big box yes. rentals. I remember it having a really nice score from Bruno Nicolai. Yes, sir. I also remember it being one of the early Jess Franco movies in the, the 70s that that kind of was a precursor to his, uh, for lack of a better word, his languid phase. Yeah. He would bounce around a lot during the 70s and 80s, but this kind of film would show up a lot more in the mid-80s, this kind of Jess Franco picture. It's, yeah, I agree with you. It's 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 just there. It's 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 nice to look at. It's 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 finally had a few DVD incarnations in the U.S. and abroad. I'm not pan and scan anymore. The score sounds nicer. It's an okay movie, but in this period, in uh, in this one two year period, seventy one to seventy two, he he made a bunch of movies that I really like. I call them guilty pleasures. Yeah, what I was going to say is this period right here, it's almost 72 or so, uh, and yeah, it might be 73 as well, he started really, I don't know if he was just throwing all kinds of shit at the wall and see what stuck, because there were strange films, and unlike yeah. you, I don't know how much I like them, huh? this is like, well, they're they're interesting, I'm glad I have in the collection, do I think they're like fantastic Just Franco films? No. Yeah. And this starts with films like... Dracula vs. Frankenstein, also known as Dracula Prisoner of Frankenstein, also known as The Screaming Dead. Uh, this is actually hey, The Screaming first... Dead, a wizard video title, wasn't that? The I think it Dead? was. Yeah, they those yeah. third titles and pictures that had nothing to do with anything inside. <laughs> uh, sure, and if you're sure. lucky, somewhere on the back you might figure out the Americanized version or the pseudonym that somebody had taken, Franco or one of the stars. I'm like, oh, I wonder if this is really... And then you had to take it home and figure it out. But... It's you know it's one of the first Denesley films. He, he did a couple of films in, uh, in France, right? With Denesley? Yes. Yeah. Howard Vernon's in it once again. Uh, Dennis Price is in it once again. Uh, Britt Nichols, of course, Anne LeBaire. A couple of people that would pop up around this period, you know, Fernando Bilbao, Louis Barbu. Uh, believe it or not, those are two different names. Uh, <laughs> Bilbo and Barbu. It's like the, the Hobbit all over again. The music score, interestingly, is split between Daniel White and Bruno Nicolai, which is probably the yeah. only time you see that in his filmography. Usually it's one or the other. It's kind of like in, you can take it as a piece with The Curse of Frankenstein, which is also known as The Erotic Rights of Frankenstein. Also in the yes. film, same cast, just Daniel White doing the music. And apparently, I did not see this version, but there was a version uh, in Spain where they had added extra scenes with Lena Romay in it. They're kind Which I've of, seen. I've seen that, yeah. These two films are kind of a piece. I mean, they're both like, you're wondering what kind of drugs he was taking. <laughs> they're not, <laughs> you know, it sounds like they would be straight horror films. They're not. They're not typical Franco yeah. films. They're not very sexy. They're just like, you know what? The one reminded me, because there's something about like a woman that's turning into a chicken or some crap. It reminded oh, me. Oh, that's Anne Lee Bird, the, 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 the 
the freaking bird, crazy bird woman who tries it's, to cannibalize people. The, it yeah. reminded me of that stupid jowl that people love for some reason, death laid an egg. I'm like, this is just, I don't know, somebody's tripping on some bad drugs here. Right? Like, <laughs> that's the only thing I get off of these films. I mean, they have good cast, so, you know, overall, I mean, because you yeah. know how people like that, you know, but I don't know. I mean, again, something I... I, I think like, you don't like them. Well, I'm glad to have them in my collection as oddities, but if it, if I had to like say, okay, well, which uh, 25 Francos are you going to keep? They'd be the first out the door. <laughs> oh, well, give them to me. No, I already have them. I actually <laughs> like these movies. Um, I find them so bloody bizarre. I mean, you know, you have a silver-skinned Frankenstein, yes. you know, played by a well-built dude. Um <laughs> uh, you have uh, well, yeah, you know, it's Jess. You know, he's he's, he's got to show this well built guy, and who who just decides, Jess Franco decides to shoot him, in weird reaction shots. Like he turns to the left, he turns to the right, and he emotes as much as he can because he's the Frankenstein monster. And and yes, Emily Burr shows up with the crazy bird lady, especially in the Curse of Frankenstein. Right. Uh, poor Dennis Price. Appears in these movies, and you know, from either it's hearsay or it's legend or whatever. Uh, I never actually seen Jess say uh, either in a supplement or in print that, uh, and he never mentioned it to me that Dennis Price was completely drunk. He looked blo- he looked bloated. He looks like he's not thrilled about being in this movie. But you could tell if somebody's stone drunk, and he's he's definitely yeah. not stone drunk. But um, I had that impression that he was like a Lon Chaney at this point, where he was just kind of bloated yeah. and always, you know, and hitting the getting the trailer, get some more booze. And yeah, you're right, he's not blotto. But then again, some people can handle it well. I I definitely had the impression that he was kind of like when you see Aldo Ray in the '80s. You know, he's hitting the soul. Yeah. Uh, Forrest Tucker, yeah. right? you, know, you can tell. But you know, is he professional enough to hit his lines? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I don't really impact anything other than just the fact that he looks bloated and blotchy and, you know, uh, Jim Blossoms. (laughs) Well, the weird thing about these two pair of movies, too, is that in one of them, Howard Vernon clearly plays Dracula. And in the other, though, he plays Cagliostro. Right. Which is, I don't know why just didn't have him play Dracula again. Uh, Cagliostro is... I don't know, half Dracula hair, half Nostradamus. It's pretty much the same <laughs> role, but he look, he looks pretty much different. There is an air of seediness to these two movies. You know, okay, we're talking Jess Franco. Please don't get, don't drive a stake through our hearts, <laughs> or through mine at least. I said it. But, yeah, I know. We're just, there's going to be a lot of discussion of sex tonight because it's Jess Franco. But this, these two movies, I always thought were very hypnotic in their seediness. They're pulpy. It's, you know what they remind me of really a lot is these Mexican, back in the, uh, the 70s and the early 80s, there were a lot of Spanish uh, illustrated horror magazines. Oh, yeah. And not just the, right, not just the wrestler ones. And the, the Italian, going back a little bit further than that, the Italian ones with the, you know, the girls, you could see the nipples through the, the yep. afternoon gowns. 
And, you know, not just the famous ones that the, the Krimis were adapted from or, or Satanic, that kind of genre thing. Right. There were a lot of these things. You actually used to see these things on newsstands back in the day. Oh, yeah. And it, it reminds me a lot of that. Uh, I mean, it's good, you know, almost comic book color. Right. I mean, you know, it's like one of those great experimentation with the color. But, you know, the stories make no sense. And, yeah, and not a damn bit. And, and it totally goes off the rails, I think, especially in the erotic rites of Frankenstein, where this <laughs> at some point, it's midway through the movie, the, mon- the monster is lashed to one of the girls back to back. Do you remember this? Yes. And they're being whipped. And he's like, oh, are you doing <laughs> this to me? I'm like, what the hell is going on? What am I watching? <laughs> uh, but it's it's... I I I enjoy them, and I would have to say, uh, I probably wouldn't throw them out. I probably well, throw them out because, no. like, no, no, no. But I'm, you know, you got get, you got some mixed company. No, you don't put these on. <laughs> you got some company like put on some shit to like fuck us up. Okay, here, watch these, <laughs> and probably within twenty minutes, it'd be like turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> True. True. So, um, yeah. <laughs> what else could I say about those two movies? There's really nothing <laughs> to say about them. Uh, so then he does ones that aren't quite as strange. He does another Denesley film, uh, Daughter of Dracula, La Fille de Dracula, if you, depending on where you got it from. Uh, again, basically the exact same cast. I didn't mind this one as much, but it has mm-hmm. like a lingering sensation, even though it's about vampires or whatever. Of being another take on a Virgin Among the Living Dead, it's got that, like you said, this very languid. And you know, I like the languidness mm. of Franco films, but it's just like pointless languid. Like, well, there's really no plot, so let's just film the atmosphere and these people are wandering around. And it gets to be like a, a Roland-esque, I guess, but without necessarily as much of the uh, the picturesqueness of it. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's not a bad film. But I've seen people praise uh, behind him. I don't understand why. Uh, again, it appears it feels appear to yeah. odd. I, I find it highly overrated. Yeah, yeah. I, I've seen it many times. I, I find it highly overrated. No good, good quality print from my godforsaken vault from God knows where uh, will change my thought processes regarding this movie. It's just. I, I just think it's killing time. It's it's yeah. like he just wanted to make another Dracula movie, and um, he probably had, and as you mentioned, it has pretty much a lot of the cast members from the other two movies, so it's definitely there. Um, although he took a lot of these people, did another Robert D. Nestle movie, and made a very nasty witch persecution movie around this time, The oh, Demons. The de- yeah, I actually like yeah. The Demons. And, and people yeah. crucify me for this because I love Ken Russell too, but I like the demons better than the devils. It wasn't as uh, blatantly homoerotic, of course, because we're talking Ken Russell. It wasn't as blatantly nasty because, uh, again, we're talking Ken Russell. Uh, and yet, like you said, <laughs> it's, it's definitely – it's not something you uh, put on for the ladies. I mean it's it's not as bad as – uh, one of those ones we talked about a few weeks back, those horrible ones with the barf bag that uh, Michelle Lamont was in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark Marvel. of the Devil. Mark yeah, of the yeah. Devil. Ugh. Yeah, it's, it's not like that by any means. 
I actually enjoyed the demons in that respect because it's one of the lighter ones. It's kind of like, well, all right, I've seen enough of these uh, whatever non exploitation films. This is one of the better ones. Or I've seen enough of these women in prison films. This one's better. You know, it's it, you're grading on a relative scale there. Uh, but you know, I can definitely see why you're like. Eh. Again, he has a lot of the same cast, but not all of it. And he, right, right, right. It, it's, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of hard to describe it and to compare it to a film that comes, I believe, uh, somewhat later, which was Love Letters of a Portuguese Nun, his other nun exploitation film. Um, which one's better or worse? I think The Demons uh, reads better, but Portuguese Nun better, is yeah. filmed better, I think. Now, that's the impression I get. Maybe it was characterized better. Although, although I've seen, seen maybe two or three different prints of this movie, and they're all very soft. And for some reason, I don't know what he was going for in his mind, but I, I've never seen a really nice print of this movie. And maybe my appreciation would, have, would, would improve or not, or alter or not. But it's a very soft-looking film from him. Uh, maybe he's going, well, it took place so many Hundreds of years ago, so I don't know. It's just, uh, <laughs> yeah, but it's not a harsh film as compared to some of the others. Of the film, yeah, yeah, exactly my point there. But yeah, I, I mean, mean eroticism is pretty good in this, actually. Yeah, I thought when 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 it's called for, it's, uh, the the erotic levels are like, oh no, that's pretty sexy. Uh-huh. Yeah, for for one of these sort of non-exploitation slash inquisition films, you're right. I mean, it's it's not as sleazy as it can be. It's definitely got more of a um, erotic charge to it in the right sense. Again, it, I consider it a film that I like of his, but I can see people saying, no, nah, nah, no way. <laughs> and I don't think it ever came over here. I think the copy I have is from the UK. Am I wrong about that? I don't. Oh, yes, it did. Actually, on VHS, there's some godforsaken VH, small small VHS label, butchered. I think it was about 72 minutes. Ugh. That's where I first saw it. And I like how you like get my brain going sometimes, like because I can't forget <laughs> shit. <laughs> but yeah, that's where I first saw it in a mom and pop video store in in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, guys, which is long gone. Well, not Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, but the mom and pop video <laughs> store. Uh, it might be one day, you never know. It's called gentrification. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I remember Galaxy Video is the name of the store. Wow. Mm. And uh, it had one of these big, giant light schemes. Like, you know, Christmas time, remember back in the day they had these big bulbs? The big bulbs. Yeah. And they had them synchronized, and it was loud. So you would go up to the video store, go click, 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 click. I'm like, wow, <laughs> I like the store already, you know. And they have the oddest assortment of things, and that's where I saw this the first time. As the Demons, right, which is one of the many titles. I actually have a Belgian poster of this that I, I don't know where the hell I got it from, and uh, I, I threw it in front of Jess Franco, and he signed it, and he misspelled my name, and I said, can you? Can you like spell my name correctly? And he and he like crossed out the name he spelled and he spelled my name correctly. L U I S. I was like, oh, thank you. Well, it's the funny. Same thing happened to me with uh, Paul Nash. He spelled my name wrong too. And with Christian Molina, they're trying to correct him the whole time and tell him how to spell it. So I was like, all right, fine. Who cares? I'm saying Paul Nash. <laughs> wow, how can you misspell Doc Savage? No, I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But a lot, a lot of the pictures, unfortunately, around this period are pretty sucky. Um, yeah, and that's why we talk about how that the demons was decent for one of these um, exploitation slash yeah. exposition films. Well, I, I don't know what did he shoot out like twenty movies in this year. I think yeah, there's a lot of it, and that's why you get so much crap. Lovers of Devil's Island, also known as Devil's Island Lovers, or uh, erotic violence in a women's prison. Again, not bad for a women in prison film, especially for a Franklin women in prison film. Another Desley picture, again, the same cast. Once again, I was wrong. It wasn't the only time. Uh, you have a mixed score between Daniel White and Bruno Nicolai. I don't know what that was about. Um, not a great film, but kind of like when we talk about 99 Women, uh, similar idea. You know, there's a jungle chase, you know, where the where they women escape there with their boyfriends, whatever the hell, and, you know, guys chase them. Oh, there's a lot of that. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's constantly. I mean, he loves that trope. Uh, so there's a bit of that jungle adventure business. It's a little less, again, like 99 Women, it's a little less sleazy than the stuff that was coming later and the stuff that would be coming from or was already coming from uh, the Corman factory and so on and so forth, which is more gritty mm-hmm. and dirty. And, you know, Franco, yeah, eventually he got kind of sleazy, but uh, in the beginning at least, his women in prison films are much, much more watchable. Um, you know, for me, the, the, the only notable picture, I mean, and I say notable in, in, in a good sense, during this whole period, is a really a drama. And um, it's called The Sinister Eyes of Dr. Olaf, or Los Ojos Sinestros del so You could translate the same damn thing. <laughs> and it stars William Berger. And it's it's pretty much a drama. I mean, very little happens. It's just, it's it's, it's a language film. There it goes. We're going to Probably said this part a lot. <laughs> it's a very slow-moving, dream-like movie, and Doctor Olaf doesn't do too many sinister things in this film. It's it's more of a drama, a drama, with maybe some sinister overtones. Um, and you never quite get the feeling like just knew what the hell he was doing with this movie. Well, I'll watch the one thing. I have not seen this yeah. film. But my understanding, and from what I looked when I looked around, this may be Lena Romay's first film appearance. I've heard this. Um, God knows. <laughs> well, yeah, because this is like the same year he made those. Because uh, she's definitely in Erotic Rice. Yeah. So, I mean, what was shot well, first? Remember, Who knows? What happened with that one is supposedly those extra scenes were shot for a Spanish release version only, and that was in 73. So this was still 72. Therefore, it's kind of like retroactively messing with the film and putting somebody in that wasn't there in the first place. And you can kind of tell if you've ever seen that version. Uh, I'm not positive that I have that one or not. I have the one that came out on DVD. It wasn't that memorable for the reasons I described before. But it's very possible you look at it that you'll see, you know, this sort of disjointed, like doesn't really connect to the rest of the, I've seen too many films like this to say, you know what, it's very possible that this happened. So. Well, you know, I, I, I actually, when I interviewed Jess back in 90 something, late nineties, I asked him about this movie. And right. one of the first things he said was, you've seen it. I said, yeah, because I got I got him the C cam, you know, back in the days when we were all hardcore traders, right? And uh, somebody had a C cam copy of this, and I, I don't know if anybody out there knows Palin C cam, but back in the days we were desperate to see cool stuff. <laughs> yep. And uh, so yeah, I said, told him yes, I've seen it. 
I said, I have like one really big question is uh, why William Berger? Because he didn't really fit, you know, your other uh, interpretations yeah. of uh, Dr. Olaf. And he said, I'll tell you, it was the eyes of William Berger. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and and for Jess, he, he, he said that William Berger was even if he wasn't in the movie, he was almost always on set taking still photographs. And Jess was like, many of the still photographs you see throughout the years, William Berger was taking those, and Howard Vernon as well. And he said he was fascinated with the eyes of William Berger, and he compared him to Klaus in many ways as like the relaxed version of Klaus Kinski. Right. So I didn't want to debate it, and I just let him speak. But uh, he was really taken with William Berger at this point, so I think he just probably decided I put William Berger as Dr. Olaf in this movie. Yeah, the only thing I know Berger and, from regularly is his spaghetti westerns or his paella spaghetti westerns. Spaghetti westerns, I agree. And, yeah, you know, yeah. he, I, I would not think that of him. He's just kind of like tall and blonde and, you know, a little square-jawed, you know, maybe an odd look, but... I, there's nothing special about his eyes. It's not like you know. We said about Kansky, like, oh my god, you know, he's crazy. But uh, or even Howard Vernon, you know, because he's got kind of those pop eyes where he's like really staring intensely. I, I did not get that from Berger, so who knows? Yeah, who knows? But you know, this is Jess and how Jess saw things. You know, exactly. <laughs> hey, you're the filmmaker, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're uh, the filmmaker. Okay, I think you sort of answered my question. You know, <laughs> that was the kind. Of, that's what the way it was for me. He did a bunch of other films that I have not seen. Maybe you have. If you did, you can just like you know give us a quick runoff. A Captain of Fifteen Years, uh, Relax. I told I have that. Uh, Mystery of the Red Castle, A Silence of the Grave, The House of Vice, Machiste versus the Amazon Queen. You may have even mentioned some of these the last time we were on air because I think I ran ahead I quickly did. to catch some of these. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I about Pleasure of Trois and all that. Okay. Uh, I have them. So, um... <laughs> there you go. Uh, I'll see you. I'll have to drop by and see what, uh, what you got there. In terms of his films that I know they're in print, at least in this country at the moment, Sinner, uh, Intimate Diary of a Nymphomaniac. This is when, I think he'd already started uh, starring her in a couple of films, but this is when he started using a lot of Mozart Proust, as well as uh, Kali Hansa, and of course, Anne LeBaron, mm-hmm. and Harold Martin, and all. Um, it's not a bad film. I remember seeing it when it came on DVD, whatever it was, like two years ago, three years ago, and I was like, oh, this is kind of kinky. Yeah, it's got the Franco feel. I like it enough. But did it really stand out? I don't know. It was just kind of like... I remember parties. I remember her wandering around the docks. You know, it's just like, eh, you know, I don't know if there's really a plot to be honest with. You. That, that's my memory on this one. It's it's so vague and nebulous. Uh, did you have anything that you remember about this film? Or well, I mean, I, mean, I felt the same way about a lot of movies that this uh, he made it during his period, including uh, a lot of del Espejo, The Other Side of the Mirror, uh, which some right. people really go eat shit over, and I find it. To be disappointing. So we're talking now about a film that I did like, The Perverse Countess, exactly. Another Denesley film, Alice Arno, Howard Vernon, Lena Ramey, Kali Hansa. This is a pretty kinky take on The Most Dangerous Game. Now, he would revisit this at least one more time that I have, and I think he did it more times than that, with Tender Flesh uh, in, like, 97. Uh, No, no at least. This this is so much better. 
you know, Arnold's walking around with a very butch haircut. I'm not too fond of that part, but basically, it's another but one. But she shaved. <laughs> if that's your thing, uh, again, that's a, no, um, no, actually, I look hairy, but you know, the shave was interesting. <laughs> but I will say that uh, <laughs> it's basically this kinky couple, and they're going and trying to once again. It's like the Justine Julia thing. He really is into the sod. Uh, in the real sense, not in the oh, let's beat somebody's sense. It's well, more they like, go to oh, the island. They go to the island. Yeah, let's pervert somebody because it's kinky to do that uh, and join them into our little circle or whatever. Uh, let's see if we can destroy somebody's life in the, and once you get down to it, it's. I liked it a lot. I mean, I wouldn't say it's like one of his great films, but for this period, it really stands out as being like, oh wow, it's so much better than all the other shit he put this year. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, um, yeah, no. And the whole business with the casting here, the mannequins, I mean, you know, it was really strange. Mm-hmm. Realistic stuff in there, too. But unlike those other films we were talking about before, it actually works because it's used in moderation. It's not just, you know, overtaking the whole thing. Well, also used in moderation is uh, just as later, uh, actually late 90s, early 2000s, penchant for uh, aiming the camera at a uh, precipice and overlooking <laughs> the sea. Right. Uh, here he uh, this is one of his early experiments with that, and it actually works here. It's his early version of that. Yeah, it's like you're looking at Alice Arno as this. You don't know anything really psychologically about what's going on and what views her to do these things. Right. Hunt down. Well, after she carpet munches another uh, <laughs> person, often. <laughs> See, I'm being nice. Um, <laughs> Track them down and kill them, you know, and then wait for the next group of people. And pretty much that's your that's your that's yeah. your story here. But it's done very slowly, and it's yep. it's almost hypnotically bizarre. There's like three versions of this out there. I remember the French one being more harder than another one. You know, oh, the munchers. It doesn't matter. It's, <laughs> yeah, corporate munchers. It <laughs> so you about rogue yeah, I'm trying to think. Of, <laughs> I want to keep us like low X rated, you know, like the like the, <laughs> the early something weird version, you know, low X rated. <laughs> but we'll see by the time the show is over how far we go with that. <laughs> I liked it too. I liked it yeah. too. I enjoyed it, and and I thought it it really stood out because in the next couple of movies. Well, pretty much dramas, no matter if they had some suspense or or some titillation angles or whatever. Yep. I thought that until we got to, I mean, for me, until we got to the bare-breasted countess, this was probably the best thing up well, until that. First, the next one we had up was Night of the Killers, uh, also known as, I think, Night of the Skull and whatever else. Uh, that came over here, and it was in some... Not like a bootleg company, but definitely not a, a major label. They didn't clean it up much. Mm. And I'm like, this is really boring. It's supposed to be like, oh, an old Dark House movie. Okay, we like those. Uh, you know, it's a period piece. Well, 50-50 on those, but okay. And it's just like, what, what was it? Seven Deaths and the Cats? I ever talk so great about it. Same thing. Boring as shit. Oh, the margarita? Like, yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, you have to put toothpicks in your eyes to keep yourself awake. It's just boring. And, you know, the period piece really doesn't work. Uh, supposedly it was based on the Cat and Canary, but 
it's often referred to as an Edgar Allan Poe adaptation. Don't ask me why. Burgers yeah, in it. Uh, and I just, Romay's yeah, in it. Grasping, grasping for straws. Grasping yeah. for straws, I think. Yeah. A couple of films that I never saw. Uh, the House of the Hangman, Sexy Blues, also known as Kiss Me Killer. Uh, tender and Kiss Me well. Killer is like a, a drama. It's almost like a travelogue of like Spain at night. Guy walking around. <laughs> yeah, and actually, that was one of the first Euro scenes he did. That one and Tinder and Fisherman. Yeah, yeah. And you are both with Lasora, so. But I haven't seen them, so. Kiss, Kiss Me Killer is like, eh. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, 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 after you see it, it's like, what was that about? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Brutal Boots. Okay. No, Brutal Nights of Linda. Linda's Hot Nights. That's Nights the one we're going to get to next. That's another one. It was yeah, also, I, uh, you know, once again, we're still sticking with the uh, Eurocenes there for that and the Bare-Breasted Countess or Female Vampire or Love's Arena or Erotic Kill, depending on how you saw it, uh, or The Swallowers, if you saw it that way. <laughs> um, but both of them were, I think, his first time that he really kind of – well, maybe not the first time, but he really kind of tripped the line where it's like, well, okay, I'm going to throw in some just vaguely porn bits and then cut away, and in this country I won't have any at all, and let me make this edit so it's a little harder and faster. And he would do this a lot. He did this with that Exorcismo, which became Satis of Notre Dame, which became something else. Right, uh, obviously, we're just talking about Bare Breast Accounts, the 17 versions. Uh, Linda, he was like this. He, he would make this sort of a trope going forward. Forward. That's actually probably the most memorable thing about Linda or Linda's Hot Nights uh, was if you saw the DVD you mentioned it last time, they give you a second version that's pretty much unwatchable because the quality is awful, uh, but it includes the infamous banana scene. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of yeah. weird. It's kind of geeky. There's some business about the incest going on there. I don't know. But, you know, Lena Ramey's in it. Paul Muller's in it. Al Sarno's in it. Uh mm-hmm. I won't say it looks particularly nice, but you know it's a Franco of this period, and it's not as bad as some of the others during this period. Um, yeah, go ahead if you want to say something about it. I ain't got nothing to say about this one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, because I remember last time we talked about it, you were like praising it to high heaven, and I was like, really? I don't think it was that good. <laughs> no, uh, maybe it's, it's just the fact it's, that they gave you the full version on the second disc. I don't know, but no, it's it's. No, it's you know it's the one that got confused with Lorna. Oh, Lorna, okay. That I got confused with Lorna. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but, we'll but get there, there is a second disc of Brutal too, and 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 the thing with Brutal Nights is, I you know I go back and forth in this movie terribly. I, it's it's uh, well, it's neither sexually enticing or boring. It's just, I think it leads up to as much better pictures in this realm. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. Um, so just the had, bear-based account us. Yes. <laughs> and we addressed this one pretty well, the first show that we did on Franco, actually, if you want to go back and listen to that. Uh, but it, do you have anything else you want to say about it? Because basically to me, it's a lot of cheesecloth, Lena May walking around in a cape and a blowjob from Jack Taylor that got cut out on the DVD we got here. So it's like, well, what's the point of this DVD now? <laughs> That's basically it. Wow, wow, wow. No, I never was, liked there was film. more than the. There was more than the blowjob. There was like girls going. There was. Yeah, they're oh taking gosh, the bath. That? That's when he started the zoom ins on the pussy. And you know? I'm like, oh, come on, really? <laughs> hey, zooming in the pussy was good for people back in like 74. <laughs> you know, what do you want? <laughs> I mean, and if it, was it was, like, if it was open, 
if it was open wide, that was even more of a thrill. Well, that's even better, but yeah. Dude. <laughs> It reminds me of, but not as bad, it's not as obnoxious, of an Eddie Romero film, you know, where it's like zoom, you know, zoom out, zoom out, zoom out. So it's like doing that. He's just zooming in closer and closer and closer. He's like, hey, hey, closer. Oh, wait, the bushes fell off the whole screen. Oh, there we go. Stay for five minutes. Okay, gone. Like, all right. Well, you know, you know it, it's a I weird think that's movie why my because, drummer likes uh... Franco. I think that's why my drummer likes Franco. <laughs> <laughs> It's yeah. a weird movie because, like, this whole movie is about blowjobs. Given you know, it's it's essentially the uh, Arbors. It's the, like the the anti-vampire vampire. She sucks the life out of people by either through cunnilingus or through blowjobs uh, for the men. And um, he's already done this in the lesbian version with Saul de Miranda and Vampiros Lesbos. So maybe that's why I don't like true, true. that one either. But this so is here we go again. But right, she's bisexual. Yeah, but this is more graphic. Yeah, it's more graphic. And it's more graphic. Yeah, it's, and and I, I do, you know, uh, I I never thought Lena gave the best blowjobs anyway. They were pretty weird blowjobs. <laughs> um, we're talking Lena Romay and Jess Franco movies, folks. So if you've not seen enough of these, you, you know, well, <laughs> yeah, she really gave shitty blowjobs. Uh, I don't know, whatever the story was. But anyway. <laughs> The whole idea of this movie, um, well, you know, I wanted to sidestep this, and we won't spend too much time on this, but Private Screenings video, which we talked about, I think, maybe on yes. our first show, uh, we dropped that. Um, they were the, the company that picked up European stuff and released it here, and they sometimes sloppily released movies with English dubs. And the uh, what the hell was the name of the Pirate Screenings version? Do you remember that? The Loves of Irene. That was Loves of Irene. Yeah, that was the best version yeah. of this. Of, of all yeah, the versions I've seen, I've seen three of them. That, that was the one to put on DVD, and instead they put out the, the female vampire version, which just sucks. Right. <laughs> and they, they they sloppily edited that. You're watching this, like what? What am I watching? And then all of a sudden, there's the blowjob scene. It's like full. It's full on, and it's like, oh, they must have forgot to cut that. Yep. Now, I've seen them. numerous versions of this movie. Are any of them better than the other one? No, but it's, uh, we're going to drop that word again, languid. It's slow moving. You know, yep. uh, Lena walks around naked except for a, a, a cape. Yep. And uh, she has chicks that assist her. And uh, Jess shows up as uh, Dr. Whoever he may be. There are times Jess sits in the chair as his character. Right, and he stares at Lena writhing around and her wet pussy, and uh, <laughs> yes. this is true. That's true. <laughs> yes, you're laughing because you know this actually happens. <laughs> so he's not making so it for up. People, you, I'm not making it up. Yeah, and Jack Taylor, for some reason, Jack Taylor is like amazed at the blowjob she gives him because she doesn't kill him. Normally, she would suck the life's. You remember Life Force with Steve Railsback? Yes, I love that movie. This is like. Yes, this is the antecedent of that movie. This is the early right. version. But, so you know, no like, offense to Lena and Lena's fans, but Lena is no Matilda May. <laughs> Lena's no Matilda May. Okay. But if you get the idea, I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to bridge this gap yeah, no, here. Exactly like, right. This is what Lena's supposed to do. She's supposed to, by giving up this, this very fruitful, lusty blowjob, which is not very lusty. It's kind of dull. <laughs> and uh, the, guy, the guy doesn't even look hard. So it's like, but this is the idea of the story. And this is why this movie became 
so legendary though. Like who right. did this? You know, nobody right. did this kind of movie. Yep. And uh, uh, which is why this is a great that movie. we have in this country is even more of an abomination because it's like, well, there's no reason for this to exist. You know, you want to say, okay, well, I can only put it in certain markets properly, then do that. Just don't put out some boulderized version. Say, oh, here you go, and that's it. And nobody's gonna put it out ever again because there's already a version out there. I, I really hate companies like that. It just pisses me off. Yeah, but that's what, that's why I give kudos to the company that released Lorna. Uh, yes. Who was it? Lorna was Mono Macabre, wasn't it? And Severin did uh, Linda. Yeah, I think you're right. Yes. Do I have to go to the shelf? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, he did a couple more films that, once again, I have not seen. We're going to 74 now. Nuns in Madness, The Troublemakers, Damn Reduces, also known as The Big Pain in the Ass. Uh, <laughs> believe it or not, oh, you're, you're right. Title. You're right. You're right. I just Sex Man around. in the World, also known as Sexy Erotic Job or Der Sex Playboy. And Celestine Made at Your Service, uh, which I understand recently came out in Germany, but I think it didn't have subtitles or something. Well, okay. That doesn't help me. Yeah, uh, I've seen that. It was pretty dull. Yeah. But then we get to the one that you had mentioned, which is Lorna the Exorcist. First of all, I did not – I mean, it wasn't bad. It was just a strange film. I'm not sure what he was trying to get at here. I guess it was supposed to be one of these you know, Exorcist possession-type films, but it didn't really strike me that way to my memory. I thought it was just more of a typical – almost like Sinner, like a sex film. I'm like, I don't know, whatever. With a weird well, looking woman I, at one I, point. <laughs> it's, a, it's a strange movie because yeah. uh, we have to gather as the movie goes on, as a, as the as a movie, you know, if you're watching the film, any version you see, and there's two or three of them on this disc from Mondo. This guy in the past had a, a sexual transgression with this really strange look on chick. Yes, that's what I say. Uh, she was kind of freaking Pamela looking. Stanford. Yep. Yeah, yeah, she's like a like, drag queen. Forget about her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's like a drag queen. I mean, no, she's a woman. And she curses him. And uh, not just firmly, but, you know. <laughs> and so. Be there. Pamela Stanford. Yeah, it was uh, like the drag queen looking type. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know how much we're going to do in the editing here, but. Uh, the husband, uh, who was played by, help me out. Um, oh, geez, uh, let's see. Lorna was Tom Stanford. Yeah, I didn't even take the name, so it wasn't anybody important to me. <laughs> okay, well, we know it wasn't Howard and it wasn't Paul Mueller, mm -hmm. but uh, it was somebody who uh, we frequently see in the Franco films of this period. And he had had a, uh, it's not really spelled out, it's not really uh, directly. Uh, conveyed to us, but we uh, we know as the film progresses, he had a liaison with Lorna. He, you know, they had sex, they had a child. We're not even sure if Lorna is or is not their child, right? And he's obviously having problems with with his wife uh, sexually. I mean, they they do do it, um, but she's not happy. You can see the wife is not happy, and he's this guy's taking calls from some woman, and you know, he cut, Franco cuts to the wife and. She's displeased. And I thought that was handled pretty well. It's not the usual Franco, you know, sleazerama. And the thing is, the guy meets Lorna, and she's she pretty much, you know, your daughter is owned to me. You know, it's <laughs> our agreement. So you're not sure is Lorna the embodiment of the devil, uh, Satan, some kind of 
dark thing that happened in this guy's past, and there's also a hint of what whatever wealth you have with the, the uh, with whatever success you have is par- partially due to me. And this is Lorna's the result, and you're kind of like you know a big WTF with this movie. Exactly right. But uh, for some reason, Pamela Stanford, who has appeared in other Franco movies, she's not a looker; she's thin. Um, but I've seen her look much better, and on the verge of hotness. But in this movie, she's got way too much eyeshadow, and she's got <laughs> way too much eyeliner, and she's really on the verge of anorexic in this film. <laughs> And so, you know, like, uh, if this guy's, like, screwing Lana on the side while he's married to this woman earlier <laughs> in their marriage, he's got some problems. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, Lana looks like a, like a tranny. You know, nothing against trannies. Hey, <laughs> hey, I used to take the train, the, the New York Transit train a lot, and I saw some that, are, you know, you wouldn't know. That's another story. But, uh,. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Lorna really looks like yeesh. But, um, so my whole thing here was if that this was a transgression that that was happened that happened earlier in their marriage, and Lorna may or may not be the result. You know, what, what is this big hold? The guy freaks out every time she calls him. Every time he see he meets her briefly. Yep. Um, and then you know, of course, Lorna. Uh, has an insatiable sexual appetite. Hey, it's a Franco movie. And, uh, yeah, I, I liked it though, because I thought it, it, it really hammered the walls down, you know, tried to break through the walls of a lot of things. But this one, you really had to figure out, oh, I think this is what's happening. I yeah. usually Franco's a little bit more direct. Exactly. It doesn't spell out what the hell's going on. So, even though there is sort of a plot and you can follow it, it's not like, you know, Necronomicon or something where it's just like... Blah, 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 blah. Or even the one with the bird lady that they were talking about, what was it, the Prisoner Frankenstein? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. This one has a narrative. It's just like kind of a stupid one. Like, okay, well, what's everybody's motivations here and why are they so upset and well, do we really care and why is this guy messing around with this tranny and, you know, whatever. Uh, but, you know, did I like it? Yeah, it was all right. Uh, it's, it's one of those... It seems like the ones that I've been getting later in the uh, my collection of Franco films, the ones that have come out more recently, have been really lesser. So whoever was picking films in the beginning for the first however many years of DVD, whether it's in this country or in uh, Europe, uh, had better taste. And they kind of said, eh, you know what, let's shy away from these ones. And then we start getting to stuff recently, like, you know, Lorna and Linda. And, okay, yeah, they're all right, but... Eh, you know, no, it, it's not the same level. It's, it's definitely not like Soledad Miranda level. It's definitely not, you know, uh, Orloff or Sadistic Vera Klaus level or Red Lips level or, uh, you know, even the stuff that he did with Orin Dietrich level. It's kind of like, yeah, okay, well, it's, I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad I got in the collection, but, yeah, so what? <laughs> well, yeah, and, and, you know, and to add to that, the recent release, uh, the is it three discs set, I think it was, uh, really astounding. I mean, Nice, and you had a disc of the hard version, Mm -hmm. and uh, what else was there, like uh, extras and maybe a soundtrack, and it was really nice that I I don't know if I had money to blow like this, and I was a company, (laughs) I would pick this movie to do. Exactly, right. 
there are better of... films they could have picked. There are better soundtracks they could have picked. But the fact that they did it, I was like, okay, well, I appreciate that. It's yeah, definitely like a fan service thing. And, and and you know, kudos to them for doing it. You know? Exactly right. So uh, uh, not knocking it. I appreciate it. So uh, let's see. Then he did a film called uh, Exorcismo or The Sexorcist or whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, which later kind of turned into The Silence of Notre Dame. I had originally seen that version on VHS, and then when it came to DVD as Exorcismo, it was like, yeah, this is sort of right, but totally like a different film. And I really wish that they had included the alternate version, or somebody else had put the alternate version out. Because it's not even like, well, it's the same film. Like, no, it's really not. It's kind of two completely different films. Uh, the South of Notre Dame was more uh, this guy. It was like, I don't know if he was supposed to be like a defrocked priest or something. But basically, he was a pervert. He had all these issues. And he was going around and, you know, like a, like a ripper, basically, going and uh, killing all these prostitutes or whatever the hell. Mm-hmm. And this one, Exorcismo, was a lot different. I mean... There were some of the same scenes. Uh, some of it was sexier. You know, they definitely had more uh, eroticism in this version. But, like I said, it was a very different film. So it, it's... I really wish that they had given us both versions. But other than that, did I like it? Yeah, definitely. And in some respects, uh-huh. probably because of the eroticism and probably because, obviously, it's DVD cleaned-up print as opposed to that muddy yeah. VHS print, uh, it's the better one to have. But, you know, I do wish we had both. I never liked this movie, and it's interesting. I went way out of my way back in the days. Uh, I got a French, I got a Spanish, uh, possibly I got my hands on a German one. I wanted to see more, 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 as much as I can. And each time I, I got my hands on a, another cut, they seemed to be a different film. Right. Which totally fucking freaked me out. I was like, what am I... It's just a different movie. No, it's the same movie. Exactly. Know? Exactly what I was trying to say. Uh, it's very dark. It's it's actually darkly shot as well. And yep. it's... Uh, I don't know. There's just something about it. It's not like uh, like we were talking about Lorna and we had to ascertain what was going on. It's pretty clear. Well, you know what's going on, yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't like it. I just... Not a fan. I'm not a fan of this, but never have been. And there's a woman in there. I don't know who it is. It might be this Monica Swin, but there's a dark-haired woman who's got kind of a strange face, but a nice body. And I remember she was kind of like dancing around on the bed or something, trying to tempt them into sex. Uh, I remember that scene in particular from both versions, and I liked her for some reason. I don't, you know, well, but that's that's a trope of Franco's. He uses that a lot. He he. I don't know. Maybe we should go over to Spain, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Women roll around in the bed, and they, they, they spread their legs wide, and they have the human bush thing going on. And <laughs> he does that a lot, and then he zooms in, and it's like, oh, is that supposed to, like, get us hard? Or, uh, <laughs> uh, it reminded me in that respect, the scene, of uh, Rowan, the demoniacs, uh, yes. which... I don't know if the DVD version cut that scene or if it was like less emphasized, but one of the VHS versions that I had had back in the, the days that you know you were running Blood Times and all that yeah. uh, had a much more extended scene. It was actually a French version that was subtitled, and it had uh, Joël Kerr, who I was always hot for, uh, dancing around on the bed and tempting her pirate boyfriend or whatever the hell, and you know in all her uh, new glory. And it, this scene that I'm talking about in this movie reminds me of Verged on that, yes, yes. exactly. And yeah. I just love that. That was like, ooh, yeah, perfect. <laughs> I, I well, you know, like but that. then again, we're talking about <laughs> Roland, who, who had a, a different approach to things and saw things differently. And uh, we'll, we'll get more into that next week. Yes. Yeah. So um, 
There's a couple more that I haven't seen, but I know you have at least one of them, so i got to get this off you. Uh, Midnight Party and Shining yeah. Sex, the infamous Shining Sex, which is obviously... Uh, well, I saw both. shaving herself, but I don't know what else. <laughs> Midnight Party... Um, also known as Lady Porno. Yes, yeah, yeah. Midnight Party is, uh, gosh, from memory... It's, uh, we have, uh, the wealthy, the rich, uh, assembling for, uh, one of these decadent, you know, almost Italian-esque, one of those movies, you know, well, well the Italians would do it and they go freaking nuts. Yeah. You know, because you got a bunch of rich decadent people, some, some bozos come in, they rape the women, the tables will turn, mm. you know. But on this one, uh, you have a bunch of rich decadent people, and more rich decadent people come, and it's, it's a sex film verging on hardcore. I've never seen a full-on hard version of this. Right. It's just, I, I found it kind of tedious. By the Is it like a low-rent Metzger in that respect? Puzzle, yeah, that's pretty well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say from what you description, I've never seen the film, but that, it sounded like Metzger right away. I'm like, okay. I think, I th- yeah, you pretty much uh, hit the nail on the head there. I mean, uh, and that's, I guess, is that a back-ended compliment? Yeah. I think so. I, mean, I like yeah. the a lot, so hey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This this movie's the lower at Metzger. Yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah, you know, the rich, the not so rich, but there's nothing mean spirited in it and right. it just kinda happens, it's over, it's done. Now how about uh, shining sex? Shining sex. <laughs> shining sex is one bizarre movie. Um it's another one, I believe, uh, shot on the same sets he used later in the early 80s. Uh, it's a uh, precipice. It's a castle, somebody's castle. Uh, okay, here's, here's the story. Ali- humanoid aliens <laughs> uh, are on Earth, and uh, they stare at Lena a lot. <laughs> and uh, they they freak Lena out and uh, causing her to lay in bed and masturbate, and so <laughs> Lena's frustrated, and so uh, and and not safe for work version, guys. She masturbates, she gets wet. Um, the, um she shaved too in this one. Right. So uh, this is a big thing with Shining Sex. We really have to see if she's wet, so let's just have Lena shave. Um, <laughs> so it is a lot of close-ups, a big wet pussy in this one. <laughs> now, meanwhile, meanwhile, Jess is in the film as a uh, physician investigating Lena's all of a sudden crazed... Uh, uh, um, sex drive. Yes, sex drive. And uh, there's a friend of hers, a gentleman, and meanwhile, the sunglass-wearing aliens, humanoid guys, are on the periphery of the action. Um, one of the women, a blonde, I can't remember who it was, so I don't want to name-check her. Uh, could it be Monica Swin? Um, she, of course, uh, interacts with Lena. <laughs> It's not a really great lesbo scene, so uh, it's just a very strange movie because it ends with Lena climaxing and dying, <laughs> and these people standing on one of the uh, <clears throat> outer edges of the castle, you know, looking overlooking the water, just looking out into the sea, and it's very dreamlike. Uh, I could say it in a bit it's effectual, right. but what does it all mean? I have no idea. <clears throat> 
I love we, some of the subtitles they they came up with. The, uh, some of the alternate titles: "The Girl with the Shining Sex." You know, I was like, "Wow!" <laughs> Definitely one I have to see off you. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I I, I sadly got a got no K to good print. Um, I I got so many of these over the years. I was always curious why nobody actually just took took it by the balls and just said, "Let me release this." Yeah, exactly. But People have been talking about it for years. I mean, when uh, they put out, I guess it was Moral Tales, the original book uh, yes. that they put out, and they gave it a big write-up. I mean, as part of the Franco section, talking about how great it is. I'm like, okay, I want to see this one, and here we are all these years later. I still haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah, and I think probably, uh, most likely, the reason why is because... Uh, but I don't know, maybe Severn will do it. Yeah, it's just the obvious sex yeah. angle of this film. Um so after that, uh, we have uh, something called the Saz Juliet. Uh, again, I don't know if I've seen some of these. Uh, women in a Golden Cage, I may have seen because that sounds like one of those women in prison jobs. Um, for and this, uh, several of these were for Eurocena. This is definitely Eurocena. Um, apparently, Frank only directed a few scenes of this one. Um, there was an unfinished film called Mandinga. Uh, yeah. It was supposed to have William Berger in it, but obviously never got completed. I've never uh, seen that either. Yeah. There are women in prison films that he did at this point, which I definitely have. Uh, Barbara Dolls, also known as Frangafanganis, or Cage Women. I remember liking that one a lot. Uh, women Behind Bars. Uh, the, actually, the, the first one I just mentioned there was in Erwin Dietrich, now with Paul Muller in it. Uh, women Behind Bars is another Eurocine. Um Let's see, what else? Uh, yeah, then we have to jump ahead for the other ones. So is there anything you want to address about those guys? Or? No, not really. <laughs> I, we, we, before we get to 76, though, the, the portrait of Doriana Gray is in there. I love that film, but we'll get there. Yeah. I forget 76, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's something called The the Man from Guyana, again, unfinished. Uh, it was supposed to have Orson Welles, Klaus Kinski, and Howard Vernon in it, but Dietrich couldn't get the financing for it. This is what I understand from uh, yeah. sources online. I don't know how true it is. Um, then he did Downtown, which I've heard a lot of good things about, and then I finally saw it, and I was disappointed. <laughs> Great. Uh, yeah, me too, me too. Uh, yeah. Another Owen Dietrich. Uh, and Franco was in a lead role. That was one of the reasons I wanted to see this. He was like a detective, a hard-boiled thing. But it just doesn't work. It was just, I, I don't want to say boring. It was just like, well, oh, so what? You know, you, you, I waited all this time to see this. I thought it was going to be really cool, and it kind of yeah, sucks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um and then we come to, uh, let's see, Girls of the Night Shift, which has hardcore and softcore versions. Never saw it. Uh, it's another Dietrich. Uh, something called White Skin, Black Thigh. Uh, Same uh. deal. Erwin Dietrich again. And the one that you had wanted to mention, which was actually one of my favorite Franco films, period, uh, which was Doriana Gray. Yeah. Uh, I really like this film. Uh they say that there's a hardcore version out there that probably is knowing Franco. The version that I have on DVD from overseas is not. It's um, kind of a hard R uh, or a, a soft X, if you will. Oh, I um, saw the hard. It's it's <clears throat> it's negligible whether you know um, it's better or worse. I kind of would say the softer version may may be. I might have a preference for. Yeah, I mean, it's very... You want to talk about oneric Franco films. You know, yeah. you talk about the languidness. This is languidness done right. This is languidness where it approaches uh, Roland, but 
even less, you know, without the pulpiness, without the, if you want to call Roland urgency behind it, which is funny mm. to even think about that, but picture Roland as kind of like a horny teenager making these films, whereas Franco is more of a seasoned kind of like, yeah, I've been there, I've done that, you know, let's check this out, kind of, you know, like, very voyeuristic, very relaxed, very whatever. You talk about the, uh, the castle on the precipice, there's a lot of uh, location shots of her just wandering around this beautiful, mm. beautiful Saint, villa. Saint, yeah, St. Castle uh, of Shining Sex, too. Yeah. Um, often yeah. naked, otherwise in a see-through negligee. Uh, Lena probably looks the best she ever looked in her entire career. Um, a lot of, you know, like you mentioned Shining Sex, a lot of her sitting around masturbating or whatever or trying to get involved with other she's girls. She's blonde in this, too, right? Yeah. No, no, no. I don't think she, no. Well, maybe, she's got a dual role, so yes, oh, parts right. of it is, but... Basically, uh, I'm thinking of her as not in the Candy Costa wig, but as uh, herself. Mm. Um, but I don't know. I mean, there's just something about it where you could, you know, assuming your friends are open-minded enough to enjoy something like a Franco film, especially a, a more hard R, soft X version. Uh, this is one that I would definitely put in my, you know, top 15, if not uh-huh. top 10. Uh-huh. Very, very enjoyable film. There, there's also kind of an undercurrent. He doesn't really spell it up. There's like an undercurrent, like a meditation on, um, it, it's almost existential. It's almost a meditation on death and sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, this kind of Thanateros thing. Um, really, I, it, it's hard to put it into words, but I really, really love this film. And when I think, oh yeah, I love Franco films, this comes up to my mind almost immediately. Oh yeah, Doriana Gray. Love that film. So, yeah. Yeah. is there anything you wanted to throw no, in? No, I don't. I have nothing else to add, really. Uh, yeah, no, it's an interesting movie. It's uh, it looks uh, the release I have was uh, from Germany, mm-hmm. someplace like that on uh, DVD and really nice print. Um, years ago, I had a gray market hardcore, um, but as I as I already said, uh, no, okay, so it's hardcore. You know, I I like the. Slightly softer version, best. Yeah, Dietrich started putting out years ago uh, some... Uh, well, it's actually called the Orin Dietrich Collection, but I think they're actually from Switzerland as opposed to Germany. Switzerland, right, this week. Um, right, you're right. I, and he put them in box sets and individually. I actually got it before the box sets came out, uh, but I might have it both ways, I don't know. Uh, but like you said, very, very nice print, uh, very good stuff, and highly recommended for anybody who likes Franco, period. Uh-huh. Um... So then there's another couple that I may or may not have seen. I know I haven't seen Around the World in 80 Beds, which is, again, he's working with Dietrich pretty, pretty much straight through at this point. Uh, uh, yeah. Love Camp, I may have that. I think I do, actually. Oh, I saw that. Uh, uh, something called The Slaves, The Sklavenen. Uh Again, I think that's another one of these. I have that. Uh, I think I have it. Um the rest of 76 was a bit mixed for me. Uh, Love Letters of a Portuguese Nun, I like. It's one of those uh, few nunsploitation films he did. Um, whether it's better or worse than The Demons, I would say it's a little bit lesser, but maybe more sexual. Uh, so in that respect, I did enjoy it. But again, it's a, it's a typical nunsploitation influenced somewhat by the devils, where you've got this whole thing about like, oh, are the nuns of this convent possessed? And you know, like some guys coming over there like a priest or whatever, and he's screwing the girls. And you know, typical. The, the plots are always the same. Uh, I think it really works more for those of us who grew up Catholic. I mean, I never had a thing for nuns or about nuns, other than just being kind of scared of them when I was a kid. I didn't, I didn't yeah. want to deal with them. But you know, I do really enjoy a lot of the nun exploitation films. Not all of them. 
There's one. Some like, of what, them, yeah, what's yeah. the one everybody loves? Flavia. The, oh, I hate that piece of shit. I hate. Uh, yeah. I hate that. No sexuality about it at all. Just nasty. Mean spirited. Yeah. Mean spirited. That's the next thing I was gonna say. And we've got companies out there that praise it to high heaven and keep releasing it. And it's <laughs> a lot of great films. Like this sucks. One of the worst non-exploitation films ever made. Flavia. Well, the be, be be careful though. You know the 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 filmmaker of Flavia has so many. Fans, oh my God, oh, he's a crap. This are you are you talking bad about Flavia? <laughs> yeah, it sucks. Yeah. Exactly, it's awful. But uh, love, love letters of a Portuguese nun. I wanted to point out that at same year, Sergio Bergonzelli made an Italian film called Love Letters of a Portuguese Nun. Yes, that's right. Which highly, highly it confused the hell out of everybody. Because for a long time nobody knew which one which was one's which, right? <laughs> and um, is either one better than the other? No, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would say if you're going for something a little bit more raunchy, go to Bergenzelli, um, because he was one of those guys who uh, just was totally off the wall. Uh, we're we're. Franco's may have been more uh, anchored, and uh, yeah, as you said, it was you know in that whole realm of the demons and that kind of thing. But you know, more of a drama than it yeah. was uh, anything dark. But the other one he did, uh, also I consider it very highly overrated, Jack the Ripper. Uh, Kinski and Lena Romay, uh, Herbert Fuchs is in it, who's in a lot of the uh, uh, Edgar Wallace films in Germany, the Creamies. Uh, it's not the worst film I've ever seen. I, I've, I've reappraised it since seeing it on DVD because, and I don't mean like the original DVD release, it was just kind of muddy, some kind of great market job, uh -huh. but the nice one that came out again from that Owen Dietrich collection. Um, so therefore, I don't think as badly of it as I used to, but it's just, I don't know, I love Kinski. You know, Jack Ripper's story always sort of fascinated me when I was younger, uh, but it's at best iffy. And it, it really, Franco and period pieces is not a good mix. Uh, he very seldom, if ever, gets them right. Um, yeah, it's more sexual than most Jack Ripper things you're going to see. Uh, it's definitely, you know, not doesn't have that British stodginess, and the Brits obviously are the ones that do it the most since it's their own story. Mm -hmm. uh, but... I don't know. I mean, do I like it? No. I mean, yeah, am I glad to have my collection? Yeah, you know, it's part of a Franco thing. I'm a collector, but eh, never really, especially for the reputation. Was, oh, yeah, oh, Franco's Jack the Ripper. It's like, Franco's Count Dracula. Oh, come on, really? Uh, <laughs> it's not as bad as that, but it's like, eh, I find it boring. So, what's your take on this one? I, I, I never liked it. And, yeah. Uh, uh, from the day one that I saw it. Um, yeah, it's got... You know, Klaus and Lena's in it too, and yep. it's it's um, and they have that scene where Klaus seems to be going down on her. I mean, it's just like it's you, some things will surprise you about it, but I don't know. Well, yeah, well, it looked like Klaus was really going down on her, but right. you know, knowing Klaus, you know, knowing Lena, <laughs> you know. um, the thing was now the sadism part of that. Yeah, you know, we were just uh, speaking about sadism uh, of Notre Dame. And this is a different kind. Yeah, that's brutal. It's nasty. It's got a really dark feel to it. Yep. I, all right, it's Jack the Ripper. We understand this. But it's funny because I didn't think Klaus would ever really work with Jess again. Uh, after their reported disagreements on the earlier film, 
Right. And here he's starting this. And uh, I guess I don't know what the deal was here. I don't see a lot of where people asked him, either one of them. But maybe just said, you know, fuck it, I'll, I'll run the camera and you just go nuts. Because uh, it's just... Well, I think Franco appreciated not only the marquee value of Kinski, but I think he actually liked him as an actor, person. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The thing is that Kinski was a money whore, besides being, you know, psychotic yeah, and sure. a womanizer and kind of sleazy, and a lot of women did not like working with him because he was basically feeling them up and going after them and trying to pick them up and whatever. Uh, yeah. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's class. I love class, but he's, uh, he's a piece of work. Uh, anybody that hasn't read All You Need Is Love or All I Need Is Love, the yeah. original version is... Uh, it's some kind of book, uh, but uh, that's his autobiography. Um, but the thing is that he would star in any damn thing. I mean, you see him in spaghetti westerns, mm-hmm. and he's just popping up there, and he seems like he's in a different film. And it's probably because he sort of is. You know, they just filmed him for like three minutes, and he got his paycheck. You know, filled up, filled up a couple of girls, and walked the hell out. Maybe throwing a fit on the way out. Uh, that's the kind of guy he was, especially at this period. Yeah, so, I agree. Yeah, but I just thought, yeah, you know, this. I always felt this was more than just a paycheck job. But I think he invested a little bit of himself into this Kinski. But I just thought it was just too over the top. And then when we got to the gore, it was too gratuitous, right. and it, it kind of reminded me of some. Early H.G. Lewis type gore too. It's just like, yeah. You, this is not me speaking now, but this is even me speaking then when I first saw it. I was like, that's a bit too much. Yeah, you know? I when I first saw this thing, especially on VHS and the earlier versions, I'm like, I just don't like this film at all. But you know, eventually, I actually didn't even buy it. I got it in one of these sets, and I'm like. You know what? You know, let me go they take another look at this piece of crap since it's on this set and I paid all this money to get like whatever it was, eight films. And I'm like Alright, it looks a lot better than I thought. You know, the so fog scenes are Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, do I like it? No. No. I mean uh. Um So now we're already into seventy seven. Mm-hmm. Uh and you have the infamous we had mentioned this earlier, you know, one of the first shows I think, about uh Greta the Mad Butcher, which is better known <laughs> as Ilsa the Wicked Warden uh-huh. uh or Wanda the Wicked Warden. Uh, all I remember about this film, besides the fact that it's, uh, well, all the Elsa films were nasty, uh, but it's probably the most fun of those, which is saying something, uh, is, of course, you got Diane Thorne starring in this damn thing. I never got the appeal there. Um, and... Uh, but see, you don't have to appeal for older MILF types. No, I don't. Verging on guilt. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Old blondes, you know, milfy, like, eh, not really. Um, the closest I ever get to that, and that's not even that close, is um, who's the one that was in Howling 2 that everybody has to think about? Sybil. Uh, Sybil Danning. I liked her in her German sex comedies when she was young, uh, but once she started getting into her more popular period, she was always kind of a joke to me. Even then, I, even as yeah. a, a 17-year-old kid watching something like Howling 2, I'm like, eh, I don't really get why people are hot for this I mean, She has a big you brought, up Sib- it. you brought up Sybil. Actually, I, I was instructed that at the next show we don't mention... <laughs> I actually will be uh, doing a and a with Sybil Live. Well, there you go. You can, so, ask, her, you can ask her about her early uh, German, German sex comedies. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best thing she ever did. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had, there's a lot of things I like to ask Sybil about. Uh, she was to, actually really pretty back then. If you watch her stuff from like 72, I'm like, wow, that's Sybil Danning? No way. <laughs> you know, what though? She ages well. She does. But... Uh, 
Anyway, the point is, all I remember about this film, other than Diane Thorne, is yeah. Lick My Kulu, the famous line that uh, Lena gives to, I forget who the, the victim of this film uh. was. Uh, and, you know, I was just like, really? <laughs> That's stupid a little low, even for something like Franco. I'm like, uh, right. But, you know, you know the, there was a funny thing that came out of this movie, is that for a long time, uh, Diane Thorne, who uh, said to the late Steve Squires, who was a Fangoria writer, a Starlog writer, he uh, tried to get close to a lot of Franco people, and uh, he failed. He succeeded. It depends on levels. But he, he got pretty close to Diane Thorne, and he said to me that Diane Thorne was very, very unhappy with this film mm-hmm. because she believed that Jess shot her from angles she was unaware of. And I call bullshit on that. You know, yeah. you, you know who you're working with. You know what kind of movie you're making. Did she totally forget <laughs> the the stuff she did in the other two Ilsa films, Made in Canada? Right. I mean, really, come on. Exactly. Uh, actually, like I was saying, of, of the Ilsa films, this is probably the most fun, which says something. And it's uh, a bit shame, in a way. Yeah, but, you know, the look for clues. I mean, she just came off a freaking toilet. And I was like, ah, come on, really? <laughs> so, or maybe she washed. You know, it's possible. <laughs> Or but she used the paper, you know. In, know. in any case, this is, that's <laughs> all I remember about this freaking film was that scene. I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> um, so then we move on to uh, a film that I, another one I like a lot, Sexy Sister. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with Jack Taylor and, uh, of all people, Kareem Gambier and Pamela Stansford, uh, who we mentioned earlier with Lorna. Um, it's pretty good. I mean, Sexy Sisters, Voodoo Passion, um, and to a lesser extent, Blue Rita. Mm. All pretty decent films from this period. I mean, yes, yes they are uh, softcore bordering on, you know, hard R slash soft X. Um, but, you know, for what little plots they have, they're highly entertaining. They're kind of travelogue-esque, especially when you get to Voodoo Passion. Um, and I think, I mean, they're kind of blurs, but there's always some sort of subtext of, you know, voodoo or magic and, of mm-hmm. course, a lot of sexuality. In this one, I think, isn't she, like, messing around with her sister? What was yeah. the deal with this? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, kinky stuff, again, in Erwin Dietrich. And all these were Erwin Dietrich for a while here. I, um, I have to say that uh, these movies turned me on to Karen Gambier. And uh, I, I searched out a lot of the Max Picus pictures she did. Mm. And uh, um, I, I found her very hot, and I was surprised. I thought she only did softcore, and it's funny. At the time, we're talking uh, mid to late nineties. I had some friends of Karine's, and who thought she only did softcore. I'm like, dude, <laughs> <laughs> everything you see softcore was hard, and uh, and actually, she was in a movie with uh, one of your favorites, Mary Mendham, Rebecca Brown. Right. right. Uh, I, I just think Karine. Yeah. Yes, I just think Kareen was uh, a natural, mm-hmm. um, sort of like Lena. She was like the French, you know, she's French, she's blonde, sort of like what you don't normally go for, my co-host. Yeah, but I do like Kareen. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah <laughs> so there's something there, yeah. Yeah, um, the French girls, I've always had a weakness for. I've got to give that an exception. Uh, um, uh. Yeah, I still prefer the dark-haired ones over the blondes, but, you know, everything from somebody, quote-unquote, straight like Julie Delpy to people uh. that are kind of sleazy like... Um, uh, Bridget Lahai or, you know, Kareen or um, Annie Bell. I mean, I just kind of like them all. I mean, there's something about Oh, and Kareen, Kareen has made some really, really good movies. Some, uh, some even though they fall into the pornographic realm, uh, they're really good stories. A Two-Way Mirror is one that I really liked a lot. And, uh, 
Yeah, yeah I so, don't know how much we'll be able to get to when we get to the French films, but I definitely want to touch on Max Picus because even just in terms of his crime films, which I'm more familiar with, yeah. uh, I do like him a lot. He's he's actually a much better filmmaker than people. Oh, he's talented, fuck. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, so, is there anything else you want to say about the Sexy Sisters in particular? Or? Yeah, no, I think we've, we've got that. And right. uh, I agree with you that a lot of these, uh, there's a lot of films in this R1C Dietrich section. Uh, Woman in Cell Block 9, Call of a Blonde yep. Goddess. Yep. Although Blue Rita. I, Blue Rita's probably the least of them, actually. Really? Oh. You thought it was the least? I thought Well, compared to, compared to Sexy Sisters and Voodoo Passion, yes, because I like those much better. Yeah. I still like Blue Rita a lot. And the thing about these films that I want to say before you get to your, you know, hold your thought there, mm. is they're all very sexy. I mean, there are films, you know, there's some Roland films that are very sexy. There's some Joe D'Amato films that are very sexy. Uh-huh. Uh, Franco films from this period are extremely sexy. I mean, they're kind of thing that, you know, it depends on what kind of girlfriend you got or wife. But, you know, these are the kind of films that I would show to my wife and we would both get turned on by. I mean, yeah, this yeah. is not, it's sleazy, but it's not like, you know, disgusting sleazy. It's kind of like uh, a Black Emanuel film uh, with, mm. you know, that sort of a feel. Uh, more hard than, like, and not as boring as a Just Jakin, but that's sort of a vibe amped up. Uh, right. Right. And that's why I really, really like this period of Franco. This is, uh, if not, you know, he had his heyday a little bit earlier than this, but this is kind of like, oh, yeah, I always think of this period of Franco as some of his best work. So, oh, well said, well said. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think I, I have a sort of more of a uh, fondness of Blue Reader because it has that slight futuristic feel. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's that Cafe Flesh sort of thing going on there. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and again, I like it. Is there, don't make any mistake about that. It's just uh. compared to the other two, and then you, especially you put Doriana Gray in there, which is also around the same time. It's mm-hmm. like, nah, not really. It's, it's kind of like the lesser cousin to those, for me, anyway. Um, but yeah, so uh, Voodoo Passion, again, the, the same idea. It yeah. feels like sort of an Emmanuel film gone wrong. Uh, <laughs> yeah, basically, I mean, think of like Emmanuel 2, you know, the Anthony Virgin, the Italian one, which I like much better than the original one. Mm-hmm. Um that's sort of a thing going on. I mean, basically, they're the couples out there and wherever the hell they are, you know, some um, exotic locale uh, down in South America or whatever the hell, uh, or Haiti. And, of course, there's a little bit of voodoo stuff going on and a whole lot of sex because uh, the woman there, who I think is uh, Karine Gambier again, gets really kind yeah. of worked up and wants to get with everybody possible. And the husband doesn't seem to mind, and he's kind of like, oh, yeah, sure, go ahead. Bring over your sister. All right, fine. Hey, well, here's my friend. <laughs> and she just keeps going on and on. It's almost like a porno script. Except it's not, you know, because pornos, I mean, it's kind of hard to get, I mean, I I hate to say this, but it's hard to get turned on by a porno. They're not erotic. They're just kind of prurient. They're like, okay, well, I'm seeing, you know, uh, body parts humping, and therefore I'm getting aroused by that. You know, it's a physical thing. But Mm. it doesn't do anything for you as a couple or mentally. It's it's not erotic. Uh, These films are erotic, like, whoa, okay, yeah. (laughs) And it gets you in the mood, you know, that kind of a thing. Well, some pornos, some pornos don't. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, there's a huge batch of those, but some work. You know, it depends. Yeah, and then of course uh, we already kind of mentioned Wicked Women, same period, same uh, thing. Another one of those women in prison. He did a lot of women in prison for Dietrich. Um, varying quality, but uh, overall, all sort of the same. You know, tapping the same vibe, tapping the same story. It depends how pretty the women are, how nasty it gets, but. Uh, some of them are really good, some of them are really lousy, but it, they're women in prison films, what are you going to say? Uh, and Women of Cell Block 9 is another one. Um, yeah, yeah. So that closes out 77. 
78, we get into basically the only film I've seen from 78 was Girls of Copacabana, which did not impress me. No, really? Yeah, I mean, it, I don't know, maybe it's the, the company, because it came out in some like no-name, almost bootleg company a couple of years ago. Uh, Las Chicas de Copacabana, I think it actually says that on the cover, they didn't bother to translate it. Um, Nadine Pascal's in it, which is a good thing. Uh, it's Eurocine, which is a good thing, you know, Lena Romay, of course. It, it, you know, it, it reminded me of just like, you know, topless beaches and a lot of disco dancing mm-hmm. and bad comedy. You know what it reminded me of? One that comes a little later, Sex is Crazy, but it's not as dumb. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we, we jumped over a bunch of pictures because right oh, yeah. after Blue Rita, I think he did. He started working hardcore. Yes, and that's what I'm saying. This is a whole bunch of films that I have not seen. Uh, Cocktail Special. Uh, a lot of Denesley films this period. Uh, El Fantu, or They Do It All. Yeah, yeah, yeah. J'ai yeah. uh, I'm Burning Up All Over. Uh, two female spies with flowered panties. You know, she uh, proud de part two. Uh, uh, Bridget LaHaye, when I interviewed her uh, back in 2000, which is a long time ago now, <laughs> she told me uh, she was hesitant to work with Jess and Faceless because they had a bad relationship on that movie. Really? And I was really curious, like, it's a sex movie. What's the bad relationship? And why would you work with them again if you had a bad relationship working with a director on a sex film? Exactly. But I didn't want to press certain points. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so where do you go with that kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah, it was interesting that she made that comment. But uh, uh, And Erotic Symphony is the other one. Uh, yeah, I saw it, but the copy was so bad I can't really comment on it. Yeah, that that whole period, obviously, you see Sanders going into porn, so I have no familiarity. Ghost Cup Cabana is the only one I saw. Um, so what did you – you were surprised that I didn't really find too much in it. What did, what did you find that was of value there? Which one? Girls of Copacabana. I, I, no, I, I didn't like it at all. <laughs> okay, there you go. Because okay. <laughs> when I said it, you're like, oh, really? Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like, no, I didn't like it at all. Uh, so then 79, you've got The Sadist of Notre Dame, which is uh, reused footage from Exorcismo. Right. Uh, and, but like we said, a very different film. Um, Plot-wise, in some ways, I like this one better. It's more of kind of like a, a slasher film in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it's not as sexy, and it's the film I... They never put it on DVD, so the version I have is kind of gritty or had. I don't even remember if I still have this stuff anymore in VHS. Um, I thought it did come out. didn't? No? No, no. The, the Exorcismo, that version came out, but never came out as Sodas Notre Dame. Ah. At least not in this country. I don't know. Um, and, like I said... Not it's not like having two different versions of the same film. It's not like the female vampire thing where it's like, well, why didn't they put the Los Virena version where you got more sex or you know whatever. Wow. Uh, this is a completely different film. It's just using some of that footage again. Mm-hmm. Um, Mondo Cannibale, or the cannibals, or a white cannibal goddess, or the blonde goddess, or whatever. white cannibal queen, yeah, right? Yeah. And then he did a couple of these: Cannibal Terror yeah. uh, and Devil Hunter, which is 1980, but still same period. Uh, all done for, um, well, not Devil Hunter, but uh, two of them were done for Eurocine, which, again, we talk about Eurocine as kind of a world of its own. I enjoy them. Um, he had some interesting people in. Uh, Kondamale, uh or the Cannibals, had Al Cliver, uh, yeah. who a lot of people know from Zombie, of course, best. Um, Sabrina Siani, who Franco says is like the stupidest person he ever worked with. Uh, <laughs> that says a lot. Uh, Lena's in it, of course, Pamela Stanford, Antonio Bynes, Olivier Matteau, of course, because it's uh, Eurocine. 
uh, Cannibal Terror. They're really kind of hard to tell apart. I remember one of them was more of uh, uh, Mateau kind of being sleazy and trying to like get all the women and the women disgusted by him. But they're really all kind of jungle adventure-y. Even though they are quote cannibal films uh it's not the same thing as cannibal holocaust it's not the same thing as the Lindsay cannibal films yeah uh it's not the same thing as eaten alive or the other diodato uh, cannibal films or even it's, the matai yeah 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 this is all oh, right matai right exactly uh these are more jungle adventure more pulpy yeah cannibal frankly threw in some of the cannibal stuff because that's what they asked for that was the thing at the time he said all the time that I was familiar with the guy, going back to the 80s, I'd seen him saying this. He's like, yeah, you know, I, they made me throw that stuff in. I really don't think cannibal bullshit. You know, it's, it's, I filmed it reluctantly. It's just whatever. They wanted that. Or he might have even said, I didn't do that, and they put it in, which is probably shit. But the fact yeah. is, you can tell he does not want to deal with cannibals per se. It's not like, oh, let's look at you know, somebody slaughtering a turtle and eating guts. Uh, and it, the films are all the better for that. They are very entertaining, unlike most of the cannibal films. Um, you know, they're junk. There's no question about it, but I certainly enjoyed them. Um, Devil Hunter's kind of the strangest one, I think. Wasn't that another one of those ones, kind of like we were talking about D'Amato, where he had that one film where the guy had a huge penis? Like, right, right, man. Wasn't man Devil, yeah. yeah, wasn't this one the same deal? I mean, it was man, close. It was yeah. close. Uh, again, Al Cliver's in it. Leonard Ramey's in it. Uh, apparently, I don't know if this is true, but Devil Hunter, they said, it was co-directed by Lena Romay. I don't know what the deal is there. I don't know. I, I don't know if that's true. Um, but anyway, uh, they're all kind of a piece, and two of them were both for uh, Eurocine. That one was not. Um, let's see. had something else I haven't seen, The Gold Bug, which, oh, of course, it was unfinished. Um, and then we're into 1980. Sex is Crazy, I kind of mentioned that. The best thing I could say about it is it's kind of like a freakish version, like a piss take on the teen sex comedies that were popular in the, the late 70s and going through the 80s. Right. But it just, I didn't get it. I was like, what's the purpose of this? There's not enough sex, uh, and it wasn't funny, and it was just like, again, you know, we, this is some bootleg company. They put out the Girls of Copacabana and this, and both were kind of failures. And I wish they didn't put them out in a way. I wish somebody else picked them up, or maybe I never saw them. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it just did not work at all for me. Um, he does probably his third or fourth version of Eugenie, uh, the Eugenie of the Story of Perversion. Uh, I have not seen this one. Lena Ramey is the star in this one with Katya Biner. Um, and something called The Girl with uh, Transparent Panties, again, have not seen that. I've seen that, yeah, yeah. yeah. So how, how is that, or how are those if you've seen them both? Well, I, I didn't like either one of them. They're both pretty terribly boring. Um, but one from this period about a year previous was two female spies with flowered panties, <laughs> which we kind of like uh, went over. I, with. We mentioned in passing, but yeah. So yeah. I actually, that is uh, the story from the, the girl in the transparent panties. It's pretty close to that one. And the two <laughs> female spies, in a way, is a more lecherous version than the two undercover angels, the thing from like 67, 68 that they did. Right. We need Renoir and the other chick. And, um, <laughs> the other chick. <laughs> I forgot her name. The one that uh, wasn't like drag queen looking. <laughs> yeah, I the thought Jadine was hot, and you think she was like a drag queen. <laughs> she was freakish, man. The big head, and she was kind of the butch voice, like, oh boy. <laughs> uh, maybe she said something about me we don't want to get into. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Did you I, like Pamela Stanford? <laughs> yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, I thought 
two female spies was a much better version of Gerland. He has a penchant around this time period for remaking recent movies he made. Right. Um, you know, recently he remakes movies he made five or ten years previous, not more, but now he's remaking movies from two years ago. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, of the two, I like that, two female spies. Zombie Lake turned up around yes. the street. Yeah. And this is, again, a, a Euroscene. This is a strange one because everybody kind of debated for many years how much of this was Jean Roland, how much of this was Franco, how much of this might have been one of the Lesseurs themselves were directing. Um, the latest thing that I'd heard was that Franco may have written the story itself uh, and then kind of bolted, and then they brought in Roland and he directed part of it, or I don't know how much of what is what. You can definitely see Roland influence in there. There's that strange thing with the, the zombie, uh, the Nazi zombie coming out of the lake and his daughter, or whatever the hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's so Roland-esque. It's like, yeah, okay, I can tell it's him. I just got to think uh, of water. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I don't really know who did what here. It's it's very, the, the bottom line is it's Eurocene, and you know, maybe we'll get into that when we discuss Eurocene per se, but we mentioned this previously. It, these films are kind of of their own world. It doesn't matter who is directing it. It yeah. doesn't matter who wrote it. It doesn't even matter who stars it, even though it's always the same cast, basically. Um, these guys, Marius and Daniel Sir, had some kind of weird vision that whether it works for you or not, I don't know. They did a lot of Nazi exploitation films. They yeah. did some um, uh, crime films. They did some horror films. They did some sex films. They did some, um, you know, anything you could name, any kind of exploitation film of the period bar. Well, actually, they did cannibal films too, right, with the Franco ones we just mentioned. Um and yet, they all feel the same. They've got this sort of dreamy... I don't know, maybe something about the French, because it's kind of like Roland again. Uh, this sort of dreamy, oneric, bizarro... Like, what the hell is going on here? I think I kind of like this. It's languid. Um, it, it's hard to describe if you haven't seen one, but if you have seen a Eurocine film and you like it, it's kind of like what uh, Tim Lucas said about Franco. You know, you, you get hooked and you got to see them all. <laughs> and then yeah. you get the whole picture. And the more of them you see, the better the picture gets. Uh, it's that kind of a thing. So who really did what on this picture? Who the hell knows? Uh, is it a good film? No, not in the least. It's kind of a joke. And that's the other thing about Eurocena films is they're really low rent, low budget, mm-hmm. uh, often poorly scripted, certainly poorly acted, at least in the dub version but, that we got over here. I always thought they were well photographed. For some yes. bizarre reason. Yes, yeah. they are well photographed. No question about that. I've never seen a bad print of a Eurocine film, yeah. even, even in the days of VHS when everything was a bad print. I was like, okay, this looks kind of nice. <laughs> or yeah. at least it was ex- acceptable. It wasn't like, okay, this is blurry and dark. Uh, the worst one, and I don't even know if that was Eurocine, it was Virgin One Living Dead. That had that kind of grimy feel. But again, it feels very right. much like one of those, even if it isn't. Um so anyway, uh, Howard Vernon was in this guy, uh, which says that Frank was involved. Uh, but Anuchka was in this thing, uh, who was the producer's daughter. Um, Nadine Pascal, Jean Roland himself apparently was in this thing. Uh, I don't remember him being in it, but it's probably a cameo. Um, strange little film. It was one of the first, quote, Franco, and definitely one of the first Eurocine I'd seen uh, on VHS. And then again, it was one of the first that came out on DVD. When I first got it, it was kind of like a joke. My wife was like, you're getting Zombie Lake on DVD? Why? I'm like, come on, I like it. <laughs> it was, it's so much better than it's like Oasis of the Zombies, which we'll get to shortly. Uh, 
fun, stupid, bizarre film that you really, it's like a guilty pleasure. You can't explain to somebody else why you like it unless you put it on and they say, I kind of like that. That was really screwed up. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, you're kind of on your own with this. Uh, but again, I enjoyed it. Um, then we get into a couple of more arrests. Sodomania, which is another woman in prison sort of a film. Uh, once again, Lena Armand supposedly co-directed this. Who knows how true I, that is? Yeah. Uh, Antonio Mines, or Sir Ursula Buchfellner, who shows been a couple of things, and the infamous Ahita Wilson talking about trannies uh, who you know actually kind of look sort of like women. And I'm like surprised. Uh, him and that guy Roberto Kawadi, who was in um, uh, what was that Tenebre, uh, were the only two trannies I've ever you know seen. Said. Hmm. Is that really? Yeah, I can tell it's a guy. I think, but it's... well, Achita was post op, so yeah. yeah. It's, it's uh, like yeah, you know, they're actually attractive in a weird way, and it kind of bothers you. Like, hmm, what was that saying about me? That I'm like, God, okay, they're not so bad looking. You. <laughs> <laughs> but you, know, you would just give me shit, right? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So here's here's the flip side. I'm like, and we mentioned this before. You know, I, yeah. I mentioned about both of them. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people like the Akita Wilson films probably for that same reason. Uh, other people are really turned off by them for that reason. Uh, me personally, I just find it strange. I'm like, okay, that's weird. All right, whatever. Learn something new every day. Uh, but, um, is it a good film? No. As a matter of fact, it's kind of playing in the same ballpark as, uh, Wanda the Wicked Warden, where it's one of Jess's sleazier women in prison films. I think uh, it's more notorious. I hate to cut in, but I think it's more yeah, notorious for the bloody title than anything because people are always expecting more. Oh, yeah. No. Sodomania. Holy shit. What am I going to watch? And it's not. It, it's we're not. not talking Pasolini here. We are not talking, yeah. you know, Story of O. We are not talking The Image. This is just kind of like, yeah, whatever. This is a prison film. <laughs> yeah, it's a little sleazy for sure. Uh, it's, it's very sleazy. Uh, it's dark, but it's a women in prison film. There's nothing particularly sadistic about it. There's nothing particularly Saudian about it. It's just kind of odd. I mean, the, the, the weirdest thing about it is that Heath Wilson is the um, uh, the wardress or warden of the uh, the prison. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you have anything else you want to say about that one. No, no, I think we covered it. Uh. Uh, then we go to Bloody Moon, which... Again, another one Franco hated. He's like, from day one, he's like, I don't know why I made this piece of shit for money. And always, you know, it's just not like a new revisionist thing. He said it back in the 80s. Uh, and this was a film from 1980. Uh, basically, it is Franco's only quote unquote slasher film. Um, does it work as a slasher film? No. But you know what it reminded me a lot of? A less funny pieces. Uh, you know, <laughs> the, the yeah, yeah I can see that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's got that vibe to it. I'm like, all right, well, you know, I happen to, for better or worse, enjoy slasher films, you know, they're stupid and whatever, and this is definitely playing in that field. Um, what are you going to say about it besides that? I mean, that's really your best thing. If you've seen pieces and you got a kick out of it and you don't mind the fact that this won't be as funny, uh, you might enjoy Bloody Moon. If you are looking for a typical Franco film, steer well clear of it because you're going to be surprised at the fact that you know, one of, the, one of the alternate titles is The Saw of Death, so you get the idea of what's going on here. Actually, there's another one, Raped College Girls. Like, eh, they weren't really raped, but you know what I mean. It's just kind of Texas Chainsaw Massacre in that respect. Uh, not that dark, but still, it's a slasher film. Um, anything you want to throw in on that one? Hello? Hey. <laughs> I guess he went off to get a drink. No, no, no. Actually, actually, my my I was losing my sound for some reason, so I I had to check my connection here. I'm back. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> is there is there anything you want to say about Bloody Moon? You know what? Um, this is also a movie that was mis, uh, misrepresented as Edgar Wallace. Do you remember this? At some I point? vaguely remember somebody saying that. Yeah. I've never seen it that way or heard it that way. But, uh, but yeah, it was. And uh, I think, again, it's very well photographed. I forgot who the DP on this is. I don't think it was Jess. And uh, it's nasty, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the slightly, he's not very disfigured, the slightly disfigured brother, you know, and the sister, they got this incestuous thing going on. And you know what? Um, some of the gore is well handled. Uh, it's filmed in West Germany, right? So yeah. Yeah. Uh, I didn't hate it. I didn't. I wasn't crazy about it. It's like one of the most unjust Franco, just Franco movies. Probably. Exactly. Yeah. And wasn't Olivia Pascal in it? Yes, she is. Yeah, see, yeah. I love Olivia Pascal. But the thing is, it, like I said, it's if you are looking for a Franco film, if you're a Franco fan, it is not a Franco film. He hated it from day one. It is a cross between Juan Picasso Simone's pieces and Torso. Mm. Uh, you know, Martino's Torso. Uh, that is the feeling you're going to get from this. Is it as nasty as no, either no. of those can be? Not really. But for a Franco film, it's surprisingly nasty. And it's just kind of, I don't know. You could tell that he was not invested in it. Do I like it? Yeah. I mean, it was much better than his reputation. It's got a bad reputation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, again, being Franco, it's like most of his William Prison films. They're not as nasty as the competition. But uh, is it a good film? No. And will I recommend it to the typical Franco viewer? No, I'd recommend it to a slasher fan. So. Uh, well, you know, speaking of DPs, this is around the period that for the next two to three years, maybe up until 84, so maybe four years, whoever's shooting Franco's movies is really good. Uh, whether it's somebody using a pseudonym, I have no idea. But the, the, the next four years or so has some of the best-looking, best photograph, best shot Franco movies ever. And we get to another period here where it's mixed, where films, again, uh, kind of like we were mentioning earlier with the Dietrich films, uh, some of his sexier films in a lot of respects, even if they start sorrying in a lot of cases much uglier people, yeah. um, like, you know, for example, one of the most infamous ones, the, the sexual story of O, uh, there's not a good-looking person to be found in that film, but yet he manages to imbue it with this erotic sentiment, and the story is kinky, and it's like, okay, well, I think I like this, but everybody's freaking ugly on screen. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, you've got a lot of that going on here. Uh, the ones that I had seen and enjoyed in that respect, uh, Linda, also known as the story of Linda, um, with Ursula Book and Eric Katya Bennett and um, uh, Antonio Mayans. Um, Macumba Sexual, uh, which has uh, Ahita Wilson again, Antonio Mayans, Lena Romay. Um, let's see, uh, Sexual Story of O, like I just mentioned. Uh, apparently, Lena was on the poster, but not in the film, obviously. Uh, just some weird-looking short-haired girl. And not, Wasn't uh, Katya Bernay also Lily and the Perverted Virgin? Yes, she was. Yeah, yeah, she which was. is a really weird movie, man. Um the Inconfessible Orgies of Emmanuel, which I think, uh, it, it's on DVD. I forget what they called it here. Uh, uh. Something around the Orgies or maybe Erotic Emmanuel or something like that. I, one of his last really sexy films. Uh. Uh, I really like that. The girl is super hot in that. Uh. Uh, I think her name is Vicky Adams or something. I don't know. Yeah, well, obviously uh, Vicky Adams is her name, but, you know. Yeah, uh, really, really gorgeous girl. She goes in there. Basically, she's in, in this club in this small Spanish or French town. Uh, they're on like a mountainside, and very small, whatever. 
And it's kind of like her boyfriend encourages her it's like to like get wild and loose because this club is kind of you know sleazy, and she gets up on the middle of the floor and she starts stripping and doing this crazy really not not sleazy it's really sexual gyration to the music and uh, basically after that she's just going around and you know screwing all these different people it's almost like an Emmanuel film in that respect uh-huh. where like the the older man or whatever the boyfriend is trying to you know get her to express her sexuality with anybody and everybody that's uh, all comers. And it's really, really hot in that respect. Uh, very erotic film. Uh, and again, Gorgeous Girl, which is not yeah. common for this period of his films. Most of the girls in this period, and even the guys, I guess, were kind of um, ratty at best. Yeah. Uh, so I really, really like this. This is another one that I'd say, okay, yeah, this one is a good one. But I can't remember what the hell the name is on DVD. It's, it's very close to that, you know, the Manuel's Orgies or whatever the hell. Um... And then there's some other ones that I have not seen. Oh, and then you get some odd ones here. Uh, Oasis of the Zombies, I've mentioned before. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen that. Terrible film because it's always been in a bad print. Even on DVD, it looks like shit. But it's it's strange. It's kind of... It came out... It was one of the first ones, if not the first one, to come out of... It might have been one of the first Eurohorrors to come out on DVD. Mm -hmm. It's certainly one of the first Francos to come out. Uh, It's definitely... One of, if not the first, Eurocinema to come out on DVD. Uh, it's kind of full screen pan and scan, muddy, grainy, uh, blurry. It's like shot of cheesecloth. I don't know what. And these <laughs> kids go out there and they find a map. It almost starts off like an Inchwriter Haggard film or anything. Oh, is that the movie? Because he got confused at some point in time. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And, you know, they basically find this treasure map and they go out in the desert and all of a sudden it becomes Dawn of the Mummy. And it feels like Dawn of the Mummy, but not even as fun as Dawn of the Mummy. Because all these, like, you know, Arabian zombies start coming up and uh, eventually these friends, and they're all annoying, so it's like a slasher film. And why does Dawn of the Mummy work? Who knows? But that does. <laughs> it does. It's much better than this, but the same idea. You know, you get these annoying people. It's this guy with glasses, and you're so glad to see him get killed. I mean, it's like it, it's that sort of a thing. And, and uh-huh. somehow Nazis are involved in it. Wasn't it like Nazi gold or something? I don't know. Stupid, stupid movie. Really bad for a Franco. Very atypical, but you know, it's a Euro CNA, and I'm glad I have it. And uh, you know, even though I for many years I'm like, why do I have this piece of shit in my collection? I'm buried in the back. Now it's like, okay, it's a Euro CNA. It's a Franco. It's stupid, but. But every once in a while, I pull it out and reappraise it. Like, okay, I guess it's not as bad as I remember it being. Oh yeah, um, yeah, sure. And uh, oh, the last one from this exact period would be uh, the Diamonds of Kilimanjaro, which I know Street Show had put out. Yeah, again, entertaining jungle adventure. A little bit. You had mentioned that one of the shows, Gwendoline. It's, mm. it's kind of like Gwendoline done right. Uh, it's got a lot of that. Uh, Margarita take on uh, Indiana Jones, that sort of uh, you know Ark of the Sun God sort of feel to it. Uh, again, a little bit of just a dash of Haggard to it, you know, with this uh, uh, Amazons or wherever the hell they are, you know, the hidden civilization that you find, you know, digging for whatever. It's not bad. It's not a great film, but I enjoyed it. Again, another one I was like, you know, I really like Franco when it came out, like that kind of a thing. Um, so, and then there's a whole bunch that I haven't seen. You know, uh, give me this the plus there. Uh, oh, that's great. I actually like that a lot. I have not seen it. So, how is this one? It's really good. It's uh, it takes place actually the majority of the movie takes place at a pool. <laughs> it's like this whitewashed hotel in Madrid, you know, white that white whitewashed uh, concrete look, mm-hmm. and a very bright blue pool, bright blue water, and there's this guy doing like his Nick Drake thing in Spanish, of course. 
Yes, he's doing a very Nick Drake thing you know, with his acoustic guitar. Like, don't bother, don't and there are, uh, it's almost like a remake, I would say, of uh, Shining Sex, but no overt alien presence. There's just, <laughs> it's hot, it's humid, women's private parts are wet, and the dude <laughs> is doing a Nick Drake thing by the pool. And I liked it a lot because I thought it actually succeeded with the vibe. Mm-hmm. Where you know, if, if all all is lost with your stories not connecting with your audience, and and uh, the rest of it's kind of silly, you know, if your vibe works, then I thought this was a movie where the vibe works. And I think the same thing with Macumba Sexual. Did you see that? Uh, yes, I have, and I, I kind of liked it. Uh, is it a good film? I don't know. Not really. Again, Hita Wilson's in it. Um, yeah. You know, is, is it? <laughs> no, not like that. But, uh, but you know, again, you keep looking at it like, this one was a transsexual, huh? All right. <laughs> but didn't you find that this was fairly similar to a Joe Diamano movie? Because I always got yes. that feeling. Yeah. It does have that feel. And so did Voodoo Passion. Because you, you compare those things to um, Papaya, for example. Mm. And you're like, okay, yeah, same exact vibe. Uh, so he was definitely working in that arena at this point. Um, there are other ones from this period that I haven't seen. Sexual Aberrations of a Married Woman. Oh, no, actually, I have this one. Cecilia. I can't yeah, hear Cecilia. Yeah. Cecilia. I like this one. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, let's see. Vicky Adams, Olivia Matteau. It's, it's another one of those zero CNAs. Eternal uh, Minds. Um, not as good as uh, whatever Inconfessible Origin of Emmanuel, whatever they called it. Uh, but the same sort of a vibe. I mean, mm-hmm. it's definitely very sexy. Uh, and I remember liking the lead a lot, uh, some dark-haired girl. Um, Lake of the Virgins, never saw that one. Night of the Open Sex is also known as Night of the Open Vaginas, just to really spell it out. Um, the uh, Hotel of Rendezvous, the Hotel of Las Ligas, uh, Black Boots Leather Whip. Never oh, seen well, that's things. a good one. That's a good one, actually. It's another one with uh, Ajita and Lena Okay. doing a lot of one-on-one. And... Um, it's uh, got some uh, implied sadism. You know, the whips are, are cracked. Right. You see a lot of cracks. And it's uh, almost in the vein of, almost like it could have been a uh, continuation of Macumba's sexual themes. Okay. Uh, it's very sharply well photographed. Oh, my God. And, uh, I mean, it's so well done to the point of... Uh, you could see perspiration on on you know on people's bodies. It's very 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 fucking amazing photography. Score by Daniel White is really nice. Right. Um, is it memorable as a film? No. But um, for uh, how do you say you know when you're cooking and you know it's going to be a good dish and then when you serve it to the people like something happened and didn't work out. It's like that <laughs> kind of thing, you know. Well, like you were saying before, a lot of what I like about cult film, especially Euro cult film, yeah. is the atmosphere. I mean, yeah. it's always been about atmosphere. It's kind of like, it's the reason I'm a black metal, or as opposed to some other forms of metal, more than, you know, the, the one I really gravitate towards. It's nothing to do with, you know, Hail Satan and all this horse shit, burn a church. I mean, that's kind of funny to me, whatever, if you're that crazy, that's your problem. But 
to me, it's the atmosphere. It's the mm. feel that it inspires. It's that kind of gothicized. Again, I was a goth. It, it, it's that feeling that comes over you where it's like late at night and, okay, you know, they, they pull this imagery forth like you're alone in a forest and there's like, snow and there's wolves and God knows what else. And you're making your way and you're following the freezing moon and all this, you know, the, the winds of Carpathia, all this kind of horse shit they say. And it's that sort of a feel you get from a lot of cult films, especially somebody that's more oneric like a Frank. I mean, yeah, yeah. his films don't always make sense. They're not always well scripted for sure. I mean, they're just kind of like haphazard. And he's doing twenty films at once, bits and pieces, and slaps them together and sees what he gets. Um, you know, sometimes they get decent actors in it, or at least memorable actors like a Howard Vernon. Uh, but a lot of times they're just kind of thrown together messes, and yet. Something about it unifies. Something about it is dreamlike. Something about it works. And I swear to God, you put these things on, especially Franco films, of all the Euro films I can think of, mm. and your blood pressure just drops. It's like, oh, yeah, I need this after a crappy day of work. Uh, so, well, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, one of them from this period, Mil, Mil Sexus Tio No Noche, Night Has a Thousand Sexes, is like that. Um, not as successful as some of the other movies you've been talking about. Right. But I, I kind of like that. And, uh, yeah, that was one, and there's actually a couple more that I haven't seen. Uh, Intimate Confessions of an Exhibitionist. I saw uh, you sh- yeah. uh, House Sex of Lost film. Women. Uh, a butt crack for two, believe it or not. <laughs> I, I saw it as Una Rajito para dos, and yeah. uh, it's what you think it is. <laughs> yeah. um, but he did do two that came out during this period that I have, um, and have varying feelings about. Mansion of the Living Dead, yeah. which is basically he got the uh, permission or whatever, found this hotel that was kind of abandoned on a, I think it was on a beach, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, and the pool was kind of overgrown, and the hotel was kind of, you know, getting moldy and whatever, it hasn't been used. And he films this thing with three girls, one of whom is um Lena. Uh, and they just kind of wander around the hotel. They claim some kind of homage to the Blind Dead films. I don't see how. I don't remember any Blind Dead being in it. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There are. Yeah, but I know they were getting killed off by somebody. And it's like, again, this is kind of one of those Franco films. You put it on, it's kind of background. You might fall asleep watching it, but it, it feels nice. And you're like, okay, I like this. Oh, you must have fell asleep when the Blind Dead came out. That's probably it. <laughs> Whenever they showed up, finally, I was snoring. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, strangely enough, it was like the the... Yeah, you know, the first Blind Dead movie by Diosario was one of the best, and uh, yep. that series. And there's a bit of a loose feel, a uh, conjoined feel in this one. Um, but it's like I was thinking as about the first time I watched this movie. It's like, so the Blind Dead gonna fuck these girls? <laughs> Yes, because they're like horny girls, and they're like they're actually like supposed to be from college girls, and they're going there to get laid or in this freaking hotel. I don't, do they even have somebody to check them out? Or they just kind of wander around, like think, I okay, like, well, there's nobody here. I'm gonna yeah, get a room. Yeah, it's like, and of course the girls take care of each other. They're like right. Right, horny girls. Where do you find horny girls like this when you're young? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but uh, that being said, um, yeah, the blind dead do turn up, and they look. Uh, Unsurprisingly, uh, like the uh, Diosario Blind Dead Templar Knights from the Diosario series, uh, did they get permission? I doubt it. Um, I think it's effectual. It's not a great Franco movie. It's one of the better ones of this period, though, because it is. <laughs> and I gotta say that you know you should probably get a hint. And the fact that I didn't even remember the blind that were in this film. <laughs> like, yeah. What kind of film is this? But, you know, nonetheless, it's got a nice location. The girls are horny as shit, and it feels right. So take it where you take it or leave it. Um, 
one that didn't work quite as well, Sinister Dr. Orloff. Uh, yeah, yeah, boring. Uh, another Eurocena, but... Yeah. Wasn't this the one... I'm not positive, it might have been a later one too, but uh, where it uses a lot of clips from the original uh, yes. Dr. Orloff? Yeah, oh my yeah. god. And he's supposed to be getting old or something, and he's thinking back on his life, and he's going back to this castle to die, and people are wandering around the ramparts, and it was just like... Boring, and his doctor kept showing up. Some guy with a beard. He looked like uh, Toulouse Lautrec. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, the first time I saw him, like this movie sucks. I mean, I don't know when I got it. it was many, many years ago. It was like one of the earlier Franco DVDs to come out. And I was like, why is it ever talking about Doctor Olaf? This movie is terrible. I should dump it. And thankfully, I still have it in my collection after all these years. But yeah. you know, again, it's one of those things where I'm glad to have it because I'm a collector because I like Franco films, not because it's a good film. It's just kind of like I went back and reassessed it years later. And I'm like, okay, it's better than I remembered it. But again, better than I remembered it, and I remembered it being shit. So uh, not impressed with that one at all. Uh, but I've heard people tell, oh yes, it's a wonderful reexamination of a filmmaker going back uh... in his career. And all that. I hate when people do that, know, that critical, I want to shoot them in the head. You yeah, know? That, that critical <laughs> horse shit where their head's so far up your own ass you think that you know everything's gonna be some meaningful signpost and let's let's go and uh, you know, let's just apply Lacanian theory. I love Lacanian theory, so some crackpot. Oh, uh, we're going there again though. We yeah. went there last <laughs> Some <laughs> crackpot Jacques Lacan came up with this ridiculous idea about like how the film is supposed to uh, Anybody that brings up Lacanian theory if, and they're not making fun of it, just I shut right off. Like, please. Well, yeah. Well, it could be worse. Like, my life was transformed by this movie. <laughs> um, it's just a movie, people. But anyway, uh, uh-huh. then there's a bunch more that I've not seen. '83 was. Uh, oh no, actually, the one that it wasn't since Doctor Olaf. It was Revenge of the House of Usher. That was from '83. Oh, that's, that's a one. pretty famous wizard one. Yeah, yeah, That's the one that we're talking about here. That's yeah. the one with the, the stolen clips. Yeah, I don't yeah. know about Sinister Dr. Olaf. I don't remember it. Um, but there's a whole bunch that I have not seen. Maybe you did because you seem to have a better uh, knowledge of his porn career, at least. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the <laughs> Shadow of Judoka versus Dr. Wong. I saw it. It's uh, bad. Yeah. Camino Solitario. It's bad. Uh, Blood in My Shoes, Sangre and Zapatos. Drama. Uh, it's drama. Uh, Alone against terror. Actually, uh, that one was pretty good. And actually, Je- Jess actually told me he liked that movie. It was pretty much Lena portrays a uh, a mad woman, something she came back to uh, a year or two later with a movie called Bahia Blanca. She played a mad woman at a hey, it's a seaside resort, and right. the family you kind of think had wealth at some time, but now they're kind of poor. And she kind of loses her mind. So it's Lena. She masturbates a lot. <laughs> and um, I thought it was pretty good because he was actually trying to achieve something. And it kind of looked like it worked. Um, and, of course, out of the blue, um trying to think back now. I think it was a family member. There was something about an inheritance. So while this woman's going crazy and she's horny... Uh, it's a family inheritance, and somebody's trying to kill somebody, and that's when the whole thing completely falls apart. Because I think he was trying to jam too much into this. Right. Um, but again, a whole bunch more of these I've not seen. The Blues of Pop Street, Fury in the Tropics, uh, Barrio Chino, or some of those Barrio Porno. Uh, you had mentioned before, Lillian the Perverted Virgin. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Cat, cat, Katrina Bernay. Catch yeah. Bernay. Right. Certainly catch out if you're listening. Uh, yeah, she's German. She was a find of his. Uh, she was young. 
Uh, Lily and the Perverted Bur- Virgin is almost like Jess is trying to remake Lana. And um, lower budget. Uh, this was uh, made in Spain. Um, the photography, really not great. The uh, production values, such as they are, were not great. And uh, there was just a slight... Trying to be careful with my words here. Is it the slight distastefulness with this film? Because uh, if you recall, we were talking about uh, Lana before. There's, there's a, a huge similarity in this film. Thing like this is, Katya was young, right? And, no, not that young, but young enough, and she was of a slight frame. So the movie becomes a little transgressive at some point. You know, when you're watching it, it's like. What are we really watching here? You know, and yeah, yeah, substitution. I get you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it's it's uh, a young girl. There's a supernatural business going on, very, very close to Lana, without uh, being successful like Lana was. If we can say successful, Lana was successful in some aspects, some regard. Um, I think Lily and the Perverted Virgin has a bit of uh, renown to it because Katja, who I, I, I have no idea how old she was at the time, does look young. Mm-hmm. And it's probably a bit of a notorious Franco movie because of that. Um, right. Uh, so I guess you got the idea. Yeah, and we mentioned Revenge of the House of Usher, which I thought was the other film. Again, really doesn't work. But one, one thing I'm amused by is one of the alternate titles was Zombie 5. And, you know, I found <laughs> Killing Birds to be a much better film than Revenge of the House of Osher. Uh, well, so that should say something right yeah, there. Yeah, I think that happened a lot of times because people would, uh, in the U.S. especially, low-budget, low-rent video companies. Uh, the oh, leads. they were always retiring. I yeah. had a hell of a time back in the VHS days because we would go to those mom-and-pop video stores and try to find these horror films. Right. And, you know, every time was a different thing. I remember Equinox was in this crazy dog called The Beast. And the only reason we even knew what it was was because they took that giant ape creature and used it as the cover. Yeah. Uh, you know, constantly you wouldn't have any information on the back. They retitled the director's names, the star's names. Everything was a guess. You know, I was like, well, I think this might be a year or hard. This might be something good. And you would get some crappy American slasher or something. You know, it was always a mess. You, you never knew what you were getting. It was like one of those, um, you know, those Lego things where they have in the bag. And here, go buy one when you hope it's the one you want. <laughs> that kind of a thing. Oh. Uh, so I do not miss those days in that respect okay. at all. Right. Uh, but anyway, um, so we have several more here that, again, I, I've seen very few from this period. Uh, actually, 84, I saw Golden Temple Amazons. Another uh, Eurocene, same idea as the one we were talking about before, uh, whatever that, the other Amazonian one, uh, uh, Temple of Gold, or whatever it was. But this whole period, he did so many films, a couple of years' worth, that I haven't seen on one. So I'll just name them off real quick, and if you have anything you want to toss and go ahead. Uh. The Tanga Girls, In Search of the Golden Dragon, How Much Does a Spy Cost, Dirty Game in Casablanca, Killer War Black Sox, Voices of Death, Scarlet, White Bay, it was Bahia Blanca. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, let's stop there. Um, okay. That was a movie I really, really enjoyed. Um, I haven't seen a, a brilliant copy of that. I mean, a really nice copy. Uh, it's a really good Franco movie. I don't know how a man can make 20 movies in two years and make a really good <laughs> fucking movie. 
That's a really good movie. I actually told him so. I said, I really like this movie. He was shocked I even saw it. Uh, yeah, because he's probably thinking, how could you see this? Um, uh, a whole family of nut jobs are living on the seaside. Hey, there we go again. It's easy. Yeah. And they're, uh, one person in the family is slowly losing his mind more than others. And there might be some wealth or inheritance. I just thought it was really well done. It's a drama. It's unlike Franco as you're used to. And uh, Lena's in it, and she's usually unclothed. I guess. <laughs> but I I enjoyed it. I thought it was really a different kind of Just Franco movie. I again, I don't know how somebody could shoot so many pictures in two years and then make a different kind of movie like this. I right. really enjoyed it. To this day, I keep thinking of Bahia Blanca is somebody should really put it out and subtitle it well. And uh, um, it's not a great film. Please don't misunderstand me. It's just that um, it really shows what else he was capable of. And I have, again, I hate to repeat myself, I have no idea how this man could turn out such an interesting drama which make a lot of shit and porn. Right. Yeah. And this is like, you know, I printed this list out just so I had, and again, I pulled out names that I recognize and things like that, you know, things that, okay, these people will be worth discussing as opposed to somebody, I don't know who the frick they are, they just kind of made one-offs or whatever, right. uh, or the name doesn't mean anything to me because they've never been in anything outside of, you know, a Franco film or whatever. And I have three and a half pages worth of films I have not seen. I can't believe this. So, anyway, here we go. Last of the Filipinas. I would Thanks. like to see that. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, you would. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're presuming too much. Uh, well, especially since Lee, Lee is a, listed as possibly a co-director. I can imagine yes. they went to the Philippines and made a sex film. Uh, um, anything you want to say about it, or you haven't seen this? Obviously. I haven't seen it, no. All right, Bangkok Appointment with Death. Travel to Bangkok, Coffin included. Those are two different films, mind you. Uh, Commando Mingle, <laughs> White that. Slave. You saw it, okay? Anything about it or? Uh, Chris Mitchum, uh, Fernando Ray, Howard Vernon, Jack Taylor. It it uh, it's weird. It's like one well, again, another Franco movie. It almost goes back. Well, it's made for uh, the the, the sauce. So it it, uh, it harkens back to the period of. Two or three years back, when Franco was working with a little bit more of a budget, it's uh, Nazi hunters. You know, it's not a great movie. It, it's better than of its ilk of this period. It's okay. Right. Um, the White Slave. Here's one that I love: Lulu's Talking Ass, also known as Lulu's Buttonhole or Lulu's Bunghole. <laughs> uh, Lulu's Pacifier, which also known as Lulu's Suck Toy. Um, here's another great one. A penis for three. And I have uh, all three of these movies. So don't awesome. <laughs> you, know, you know I have to borrow these off. i got to see this crap. Uh, they're horrible. Seen... horrible. They're, of course uh... they're horrible. <laughs> um, Entre pitos anda del juego. So I told myself a penis. Oh, here we go. The play moves between penises. Um, Slaves of Crime. The Girl with the Red Lips. Another Red Lips film, I guess. Uh, the Suckers. This will uh, go on for a long time. For the baby's warm cream, the watcher, the exhibitionist, tribulations of a cross-eyed Buddha. Uh, here's a really uh, tasteless title: AIDS, the 20th century plague. Apparently, it was finished, but they never released it, probably for obvious reasons. Yeah, um, yeah. A teleporno, another one, is supposedly not finished. 
the White Rhino, uh, again, not finished. Uh, the Zipper Story, supposedly unreleased. No, no, I've seen that. I've seen that. Follow Crest, which is some kind of a knockoff of Falcon Crest. What well, I used to have that, and I used to have Fellow Station too. The next one you're probably going to go to. Right, that was the next one. Yeah, so yeah. how were they? They're because uh, that was a Dynasty one, the Fellow Station one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think I think at this point, I I don't know what market they were making movies for. They were making. They were making. You know, we, we discussed in our Joe Diamato show a couple of weeks back how Joe was making, uh, before he passed away, uh, two or three hundred, you know, Cinderella, Tarzan, uh, H. Ryder Haggard, you know, Hamlet. Right. And, uh, there were some I, I really liked and you hadn't seen a lot of them. And I thought some of them were pretty decent. And, uh, you know, and Joe would make these things two hours long because he tried to or more, two, two and a half hours. Because he would try to actually script these things and, and try to get people to moat in between the fucking. Um, but when Franco was trying to do a parody, it just, he wasn't capable of doing it correctly. And it just became boring, boring. and turgid. And, and, and showcasing Lena. You know, I have no problem with Lena aging. And, and just that these movies aren't very good. I'm sorry. Um, Dark Mission, another one with actually Christopher Lee and Chris Mitchum and Richard Harrison of all people. Yeah. Uh, who was in a lot of those, um, uh, what's his name? Dick Randall films. Right. Um, and Bridget Harris in that one too. Uh, and then we come to one of the few I've seen from this period, which is the infamous Faceless. Um, Callan Munro's in it, obviously. Uh, Kelly Savalas is in it. Um, You've seen this, right? Yeah, Bridget yeah. High, Helmut yeah. Berger, Chris Mitchum, uh, Anton Diffring. There's, there's a lot of big names in this, and Lena Romay and Howard Vernon. Um, it's kind of like, I mean, I've heard different things, but to me it's another Eyes Without a Face, but kind of nastier, uh, and with a very 80s veneer. So, you know, me, I like that because it reminded me of the better parts of that decade, which were a few and far between. Um, but, uh, you know... It, is it a good film? Hell no. Uh, I know that some people involved with it, like Karen, still kind of laugh about it, like people from Memory Fest, really. Um, I think it was a René Chateau film, wasn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he's the guy that put out, uh, I think he was actually her uh, boyfriend or whatever, uh, a lot of Bridget High pornos. So you get the idea of what kind of project this was. Uh, but it's not erotic at all. It's totally like a horror film and a very 80s horror film at that. Uh, if you're really into that sort of stylish, I mean, I guess if you're like like me, you're into the first couple seasons of Forever Night. It's got that sort of a feel to it. Oh, yeah. you like that? I love that show. Yeah, I love that show. But the oh, first look, seasons, another cool thing we we have in common. Yeah, I love that show. I'm so jealous. I, there's a friend of mine, uh, the one, virtual friend, uh, and he's <laughs> some gay guy. But yeah, this is probably hey. why he's got it. Because no, seriously, yeah. uh, he was a huge fan of Geraint Lynn Davies, and he actually. I don't know if he met him or wrote him for his fan club or whatever, but he has a personalized signed photo of Greenwind Davies, and I was so jealous. I'm like, I love that show. <laughs> oh, I love Green. I would love to meet him one day. I was yeah. actually pushing uh, for him to do to do local shows, right? And people are like, "Who the fuck is that?" And I'm like, "Nah, oh, man, this guy's got a huge oh, following." Man. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's got a gay following because this guy's got the signed photo of it. Yeah, uh, I'm shocked how much weight Geraint has looked. He doesn't look like himself anymore. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Loaded and big. But 
Those first two seasons are, are exactly. Oh my, past God. that, forget it. But those first two seasons are fantastic. And you know, mine, I like the original Rick Springfield, Nick Knight. Yeah. Uh, and yet, in some ways, I mean, yeah, something's changed because they lost some of that TV pilot sort of thing. Uh-huh. Uh, but I liked it even better. And the soundtrack, you know, Fred Mullen did an amazing job. Uh, he's got some, you know, basically no name girl, and they did these sort of gothic y sort yeah, of songs. Yeah. And they're good. I mean, they're you really know, good. You know why I liked it? It was like everything the Night Stalker should have been and wasn't. Right. Well, I like the Night Stalker a lot, and in some ways... Well, I'm talking about the show, the series, though. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a different sort of thing, but yeah, yeah. you're right. You're right, there, there's definitely something about it. Uh, but I just love that show. I mean, if you talk about... Yeah, I like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, so sure. At least in the first couple seasons. The first three seasons were perfect. Uh. But compared to Forever at Night, it's crap. I mean, the, that show was fantastic. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The woman and, and the love thing going on. And, uh-huh. and that French girl who wasn't really French, uh, the French-Canadian girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But oh, I, I always God, loved, you know. <laughs> I, I, I got into that so hardcore. I was like, yep. there's a sinister fucking guy who's been following him for centuries. I love that. Yep, all that Nigel Benjamin, that, that was yeah. great. And, you know, again, this is probably why the show has a gay fun, because it's got that sort of a homoerotic vibe. Yeah, He's his yeah. teacher and all that. But, but it's, it was like an Anne Rice novel come to life, yes. but not... Yeah, I don't want to say poorly done because I like the vampire stop, but not cheesy like that came out. I mean, this was done right. This was like somebody sat there and read Interview with the Vampire, read Lestat, and read Queen of the Dam when they first came out and said, let's make a TV series about this, and did it, and did it right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a good, good show for the first two seasons. Although I uh, do like the vampire, uh, the, the Tom Cruise one. Actually, yeah, no, that's what I was saying. I, I didn't want to knock it because I actually like that film. Yeah. Uh, I liked it enough that I had the T-shirt and used to wear it around. People were knocking me for it. I was but, you surprised. Know. <laughs> you know, I was surprised because they all, they all went did a good the, job. They did a good job. And, and was, yeah, people like Antonio Banderas and the damn thing, and, and you know, of course, Tom Cruise. It was like, hey, Tom Cruise, seriously. And this is long before Mission Impossible. Nobody took him seriously. This guy did cocktail, and I'm like, oh god. Even she came out and says, you know, I'm like, I'm. Protesting this film, I can't believe you cast Tom huh? Cruise, and then came out and put in a full page ad in like the New York Times saying, "I apologize, he did a great job. He really did. He really I mean, did. It was a good, good movie." But and now you're a Tom Cruise fan, anyway. See, well, <laughs> no, no. But when I saw Mission Impossible Five, I ignored the other ones. We went back and saw like what was it, four and three? We actually went in reverse order, uh, which and each one was progressively worse. I mean, well, four was okay. Bad, though. Four was like a bad version of five, and three was just unwatchable, terrible film. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but five was really good. I mean, he's finally yeah, like grown yeah. as an actor, and he's matured enough that he could be a Bond. I mean, it was a Bond film, uh, and you know, I don't know what it is. I mean, maybe it's just age. Maybe it's the fact that he's got a lot more experience. Maybe the fact that he's trimmed down a little bit. He he has a lived-in look about him. Yeah, he doesn't look like yeah. a little kid anymore. Uh, but anyway, the point is that before uh, that, the only film I ever liked him in was *Into the Vampire*. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, uh, Forever Night blows it the hell away. So, anyway, the point is, Faceless, uh, that's got that sort of a vibe to it. So, therefore, I like it a lot. But is it a good Franco film? Nah, I wouldn't say that. I, I uh, like it. I always did. I always liked it. Um, I mean, what the fuck? You got you got Bridget LaHaye. I'm a yep. huge Bridget LaHaye fan. Uh, well, I liked it more when she had brown hair, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Lena's in this very briefly. Uh, so was Howard Vernon. Uh, Caroline Monroe's in this. Yep. Uh, 
I, I forgot. I asked Caroline a long time ago. What did, what did you know? What was it like working with Jess? And you know, oh, I think it was a similar thing that Diane Thorne had said. When Caroline is in the cell, and uh, I forgot the name of the gentleman who placed the hulking killer. Oh yeah. Uh... Uh, I don't even know. I don't know how Burgess in it, but I don't remember who the killer was. Well, he's looking through the cell glass, and yeah, you know, uh, you know Caroline spread eagled at some point, and <laughs> I didn't think Jess was going to shoot me that way. Oh, of course, stop lying. <laughs> you know. But uh, this was the movie where Bridget was like, you know, she was glad to work with him again after her previous experience was not that good. Again, we don't know what the hell that was about. Right. Um, Jess said, Jess Franco said that. He liked it, and he wanted to do another one. And he wanted to do a sequel, which he said never really in his life did he ever want to make a sequel. And this movie, he really wanted to follow it up. And he said, uh, the movie ends with Tilly Savalos getting a phone call. He wanted to go forward with that into a second film. And uh, But Jess's biggest problem was that Rene Chateau enforced on him, I guess this is like 89, 88, that he worked with a full crew, right, and work under union rules, union restrictions, right. And we're talking Jess Franco, and that was a huge problem for Jess, right, because he's usually working, uh, used to working for a crew of four to five people, including himself, and now he's working for, he's working with thirty, forty people who have to take a lunch break. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And this was a huge problem. I think this is why they never made another one. And you know, you know how the union rules are, especially on sets. You know, don't move that ladder; only this guy can do it, and he's not here, so you got to wait and yeah. film around it. And I could picture the disaster that would have been. Um, but anyway, faces. I liked it. You liked it. You know, it's got varying reputations around the world. Uh, I thought it was decent, and it was actually at this point he had sort of stopped making his porno films. Because uh, 88, that was the only film he made. Mm. 89, the only film he made was something I didn't see, but it was in the Young Euro scene, Emerald Bay. Uh-huh. Uh, 90, uh, he made another, uh, I guess, one, one was Euro scene, one was involved with Jean Roland somehow, with Francois Blanchard, actually, the living dead girl. Um, so one was The Fall of Eagles, and the other one was In Pursuit of Barbara. Again, haven't seen either one, can't comment. Um, 92, he did Downtown Heat, which was. A horrible, horrible remake of Downtown, but without Franco in the lead role. Yeah. Whew. It's on one of those um, Dietrich sets. I don't know if Dietrich produced it or not, but uh, somehow they threw it on there, and it is awful, awful film. Um, Don Quixote, he also did. Apparently, this film was started by Orson Welles back in the 50s. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and Franco finished it up. Yeah. So I don't know anything about it other than that, but... Oh, yeah, Orson Welles was working on the Don Quixote decades ago, and, and Jess was the DP on that, and he was the editor. And uh, for some reason, like, uh, I don't know what happened with that, but uh, Jess was planning on working on reassembling this film. And uh, he suddenly got into uh, a headbutting contest with the... Uh, the woman who was uh, dealing with Orson Welles' estate, uh, his lover, Orson right. Welles' last last lover, and uh, she wouldn't let Jess finish it, but uh, some footage escaped, and uh, so there was talk of actually this coming out, 
Um, I don't know if it ever did. I think it's negligible at this point. Now, there's another movie coming up, A Jungle of Fear. Yeah. Which I actually have somewhere in my house. Four really? hours. Four hours of outtakes in this thing. <laughs> wow. Je- he never finished this movie. Right. Uh, Lena, Chris, mentioned William Berger. It was... It wasn't shot in the jungle. It was probably shot in a park somewhere. <laughs> um, it looked good, though. The, the, the production qualities were decent. I think they ran out of funding. Right. Um, but uh, I got from somebody about four hours of outtakes, which I was really excited excited to see before I got them. Right. And they're four hours of outtakes, you know, people yeah. walking around. So. <laughs> <laughs> and now uh, he did nothing in 95. And then he did a film that blew my mind when I saw it because I had assumed that just Franco had basically ended his career sometime very early in the 80s and just gone into porno and that was it. And it was back in the gray market days and one of these video companies said, I have a time code copy of this new Jess Franco film. You have to see this damn thing. They put a trailer on. I'm like, what the hell is this? There's this cool punk rock music going on. Yeah. This hot Spanish girl. Uh, a bunch of girls running around naked with people like chasing after them. Uh, there was old castle fog atmosphere. I'm like, holy shit! Where, where did this come from? Uh, and that was the copy I had on VHS. It was a time code copy of this film, and then it finally came out on DVD. I, it made me not only uh, that was the first thing I said. I am reassessing just Franco's. This is still in the VHS days, mine. So I did not like Franco still. This was the one that was like, holy shit, I think I may need to go back and look at these other Franco films. Uh, And it made me a huge fan of the Killer Barbies. And then when my wife came down a couple years later, actually it was right around that same time, um, she was and still is a huge fan of the Killer Barbies and Sylvia Superstar. Uh, Really great uh, kind of... In some ways, bubblegum floss, but a, a very Misfits style punk band. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they actually played with the Misfits a couple of times. Uh, they actually came to this New York City. Unfortunately, we missed them, which pissed us off. We didn't know about the last minute. Uh, one of those infamous Misfits Halloween shows. Um, and it's a really just the band themselves. It basically a showcase for the band. Uh, she Sylvia actually plays the guitar and uh, writes uh, and and does the lyrics, I believe. And the drummer. Yeah, right. She writes the music, the drummer writes the lyrics, and uh, the drummer was her boyfriend or whatever the hell, you know, husband, whatever it was. And they would have a revolving cast of uh, people, you know, coming in out of band. I actually have an autographed photo from them just because we were that big fans of them. Uh, (laughs) We meet them in person, but, you know, we sent over to Spain or wherever the hell, Germany, and and got it. I was in talks with their their management at one point. I was going to try to get them on here for the show for Third Eye. At that point, they'd already broken up, unfortunately. Uh. Uh, And she went on her own. But... We have all of their albums, including the really obscure ones, because they kept like remaking their same music to lesser and lesser effect. Um, we saw their second one that he did with them, Killer Barbies Meet Dracula, which is terrible. But oh, yeah. uh, But this film, Killer Barbies, is a damn good film. And you, you got to turn your brain off, yes. But there's like this gothic castle and an old mistress that you know maybe a lot older than she seems. Maybe she's sort of a vampire. Maybe oh, she's it's not. Mar- Maria uh, Angelou Giordano. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, there's people going around. Uh, actually, it was Fernando Rey. There's just people in there. Oh, Alice Umbrell. Um, you know, she's like a manservant, and they're killing people for her. You know, kind of like a Count's Bathory sort of a thing. Um, 
you know, some gorgeous naked girls running around getting chased through the woods, yeah. uh, you know, fog, atmosphere, and yeah. really fucking great music. I'm sorry. Uh, if you like metal, if you like punk, you got to see this movie. The, the band is awesome. The uh, Sylvie Superstore is gorgeous. It's a good-looking film. It's lots of fun. Uh, and, and the whole band is in it, obviously. They, they did uh. a little stick at acting there. Um I love this film. It's definitely one of my favorite Franco films. Not for being a Franco film, but for what it is. This kind of showcase for the Killer Barbies. And it's a sort of a horror film of that period. Well, it doesn't even feel that period. It feels like timeless in a way. It, it doesn't say, okay, look, this is a 1990s film. No, it's like, well, what is it? I don't know really where it fits. It's just kind of of yeah. itself. Uh, I don't know how you feel about it, because obviously you don't have the same experience. Well, no, but I, I liked it a lot. That was uh, that was the first Franco movie of uh, the new... Franco period. He hadn't really worked between 90 and 96. And when I saw it, I was like, wow, what is this? And I really liked it. Uh, I liked the whole thing. The band was traveling in the van. Yep. And uh, Almost like Scooby-Doo. <laughs> almost like Scooby-Doo. People have accused it of being like a Scooby-Doo, like a live-action Scooby-Doo. But it's the best aspects of that. It's not like the yeah. cheesier aspects. No, no, I liked it. And uh, it was great to see Maria Jello, uh, Angelo Giordano, where they yes. really liked in those sleazy Italian uh, oh. Malabimba. Yeah, Malabimba and uh, the, the even cheesier one, uh, Patrick Lives Again, where she oh. gets the... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredible. The woman, I don't know. And and she was also in uh, Andrea Bianchi's Burial Ground. Yes, of course. Of <laughs> With Peter Bark. <laughs> yes, and, 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 and I always had a thing for her, and I was like, wow. I loved just... her, and she had a weird... Yeah, she must have had a really weird sense of humor to go through these movies, that's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, it's great to see her again, and... Uh, and then a, a, a weird thing happened after this movie. Yeah. I got a letter in the mail. As we're going to lead up to the next movie. I got to tell you this real life story. I got a letter in the mail. And uh, this guy uh, was a, a subscriber to my old Blood Times, which I published back in the 80s to the like, mid-90s. My fanzine. And he says... I loved all the stuff you wrote about Jess and that you wrote for other magazines. And I said, oh, that's nice to read. Mm-hmm. He says, and I went to Spain. I'm going to produce Jess's next movie, and I just wanted to thank you. I'm like, what? <laughs> and lo and behold, the next year, right. Tender Flesh comes out. Yeah. And it's produced by Kevin Collins, this guy who wrote me this letter. And it started a whole new period for Jess Franco. Yeah. Now, uh, I am not taking any kind of credit for <laughs> this. I'm just saying it was really nice that somebody who was a fan got turned on to Jess by reading shit I wrote and then gave Jess money to make whatever he wanted to make. But I know that there were a lot of problems with this stuff. Yeah, uh, I will say that after Killer Barbies, this kind of one-off that was like really like, oh, wow, this is so great. Uh, that was really it for Franco for me. Um, oh, he Tender Flesh was okay in a sort of, you know, let me get a Playboy stuffed boob plastic bimbo who can't act worth a shit uh, to be my lead actress. Uh, but I fucked her, her, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> right. Showcase her walking around with a little shaved, you know, racing strip, and I'm like, oh my god, why am I watching this? But it wasn't that terrible for that sort of a movie. If you yeah. look at it, like, well, it's a bad Skinamax movie that normally I'd, like, turn off at 2 in the morning, 
And the World Arcade's got some weirdness to it because it is Franco. It's got some big Franco elements to it. It's a very um, strange Twister movie. Um, yeah, yeah. I think uh, there was... And Alain Petit is in it, the, the film critic. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, doesn't Alain piss into a bucket and uh, Analia <laughs> Ivers drinks it in the kitchen? Uh, yes, yes. And I was like, whoa. You know, we, we just kind of crossed over... And you're mentioning Kevin Collins. One of the other films that he produced is the only other one that I'll even admit to watching from this period. I mean, I've seen others, but yeah. uh, which was Snake Woman. Again, we'll not a good that. film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a good film, but similar to Tender Flesh. Like, okay, well, if you can take that, maybe you can take this. Everything else he did was crap from here on out. But go ahead. Well, so, no. Uh, uh, Amber was uh, in the cheesy Cinemax, Skinemax movies. And, yeah. Uh, and Kevin, and you uh, can tell, <laughs> yeah. And Kevin, Kevin, uh, I guess cast her, and she was she was a nice girl. Then she had a problem. We won't go into. Uh, <laughs> um, I I thought Nalia Ivers was was kind of hot, although Jess had used her a couple of years before, almost like ten years before. So Analia is already getting older. Mm-hmm. Um. I liked the movie. I thought it was uh, bizarre. Uh, the piss drinking thing was way over the top. Uh, <laughs> I think I knew right away when I saw it, so they're going to have problems. Um, but it got was it more strange after this. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the next movie, uh, Kevin got, like, he resurrected Michelle Bauer. Yes. Right. And, and, and he brought back Amber Newman. Then he got some girl, Rachel Shepard. Yep. And, and, and you know, even even, <laughs> sorry, even Tim Lucas was in our video watchdog. Oh, Rachel Shepard, like that's not a fucking name. <laughs> yeah, it was like she's some Spanish chick that just found. And uh, I, I'm sorry, I forgot her name. I have it written down somewhere, but I I couldn't come up with it right now for the show. She was a local girl that just thought was really hot, and just called her Rachel Shepard just because he thought uh, uh, Americanized it would be sell better. Yeah. And Lust for Frankenstein was that movie. Wow. Awful, awful film. Uh, you know, Michelle Bauer, I mean, yes, I was a teenager at the time, but I remember seeing her in, like, those Fred and Ray type films. You know, what, 83, Kings, 84, and all that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, you know, uh, was it Sorority Bames with the Slimeball Bowl of Rama? Like, okay. She was, okay, she was my least favorite of the Scream Queen Ouch. trio. You know, I did not like her like I like Linnea. I did not like her like I like Brinky. But she was undoubtedly attractive and busty. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know, there's no question about this. Very good-looking woman. You see her in Lester Frankis, I'm like, oh, my God, what happened? <laughs> I don't know what the deal was. I don't know what the deal was. But I can tell you that. And, yeah, of course, you know, she's supposed to be a Frankenstein monster. So she's got, like, her hair shaved off. And she's got stitches in her head and all that. A lot of it has to do with the film itself. But I was just like... Uh, this this really destroys all my you know, teenage whatever for this woman, and it's just a bad film. People like it for some reason. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, I think I think Jess was tapping into, you know, we we talked about it jokingly before, but I think Jess was trying to tap into this. Uh, I think he really thought that. Milfs were like a big, huge. <laughs> no, no, we're serious now. That were a big, huge draw in the underground market, and for for uh, if you're at home on your computer looking at xvideosdex.com or xhamster, that's one thing. But if you're watching movies, not really. I don't think there's anything people would admit to. 
And and and, and somebody who was popular in eighty three to eighty six, I mean, it's tenuous whether they be considered a milf right now because we're getting a little closer to gilf, and that's a little <laughs> shaky. Uh, I will say Amber Amber Newman looked a lot hotter in this movie uh, as compared to the other one. Um, but I, I mean, for me, uh, there were. If I'm going to be salacious about it, I thought there were some hot moments in about about this film, but there was a lot of bizarre things going on. Just shooting out the window of this obvious hotel, and I think he shot the next ten movies out of this hotel. Yeah. With the same freaking cast. With the same I mean, cast. How much. many times did he have Amber Newman, Rachel Shepard? Uh, well, he brings in Linnea for a couple of these. Uh, Bauer shows up in a couple of them. Well, I since mean, Kevin isn't my friend anymore, I can tell you that, that Amber Newman got fired for fucking somebody on the set and just got <laughs> pissed off. And Jess is like, how dare you fuck somebody? You know, I'm a filmmaker, and he fired her, sent her back to America. <laughs> so, yeah, we can say that. Um... um yeah, so he's shooting out the window, and there's supposedly the ghost of Amber's uh, grandfather, which is Doctor Frankenstein, walks by on the on the outside of uh, the balcony, the balcony outside this this apartment, and and it's just it, you know he's starting to experiment with solar effects with the camera, doing right. in camera effects, and it's like wow. But if you thought this one was worse. Why do you see Marie Cookie in the Killer Tarantula? Yeah, see this period now. After Killer Barbies and Tender Flesh, he starts shooting on video. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, if you look at the old Third Eyes, I am somewhat of a champion of the earlier shot on video productions. You know, I enjoy yeah. uh, the cheesiness of it. I enjoy the, the Tim Ritters and the Mark Polonias and people like yeah, that of the I know world. You do. Yeah, right. Uh, but when you get to stuff like this and some of the kids that are doing it nowadays, it's like. It's like an excuse to just film something in your backyard, and I don't give a flying fuck, and here's my, like, goofy high school friends, and we don't have a plot, but let's throw some buckets of gore in and maybe some uh. DNA, and you're done. It's just, it becomes crap, and that's the problem with Franco from here on out. He's doing films, like you said, Mary Cook and the Killer Tarantula, Dr. Wong's Virtual Hell, oh, some horrible, that I have horrible. seen, Vampire Blues. Awful. Now, wait, 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 I want to stop you here. I think that's Jess's last good film. Really? You like that one? I really like Vampire Blues. I think Vampire Blues is is highly, highly uh, disregarded. It's it's his last great film. I think. Uh, Put me hark- to sleep. <laughs> well, really? Okay, you've seen it. You hated it, but I, yeah. for me, I thought it harkened back to an earlier period. I thought because he starred Rachel Shepard, uh, whatever the hell the girl's the real name is. <laughs> Actually, I met her in Kevin Collins' Brooklyn apartment. Right. And she was introduced to me by her original Spanish name, and I was like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, really nice lady." Uh, and uh, I just think it worked here. You know, she's Lady Dracula. She's on the beach. She's it harkens back to things that he really liked: uh, shining sex, that whole thing, where the the women are overheated and and. You know, she's a vampire, but she's in his bloody son. Nobody ever explains this. <laughs> and I just liked that. That was very erotic, uh, even though it was shot on video. Um, uh, uh, Michelle Bauer and Linnea Quigley are absent from this one. Right. Uh, Red Silk was not too bad either, but... Uh, 
Red Silk, Broken Dolls, Helter Skelter, Blind Target, which has oh, an AA. I have it. to say, yeah, I, I, I'm going to go on record as saying Blind Target is the worst Jess film I've ever seen. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> and, you know, Linnea Quigley, I used to have a thing for her. I loved her sorority babes. I followed her around to all these crappy movies, Night of the Demon. And uh, what, yeah. what was what was that one, uh, Nightmare Sister? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Terrible films, but, you know, I was hot for Linnea Quigley at whatever age I was. You know, I was a teenager. Uh, I saw her in this. I'm like, wow, this movie sucks. What happened to you? <laughs> uh, you know, and really, probably no fault of hers. It's just the film sucks. Oh, it's uh, horrible. It's it's everybody's acting is atrocious. <laughs> no, no shit, guys. The acting is atrocious. The 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 direction is ambivalent. Uh, the the co-stars, some cowboy guy. Uh, who happens to be vacationing in, in real life in Spain is, you know, it's bad, bad, bad. And somebody actually went and made a documentary of the making of this film. And I mean, I'm sure it was like a great opportunity. Look, well, I can be on a Franco set. I can, you know, he's like a legend that everybody knows him. But you him. know what? I think that is great. Antenna Criminal? You like it? I okay, do. I haven't seen it, but. <laughs> I do. I Actually, he's a, he's a friend of mine. Uh, I remember Brian, Brian Horowitz before he worked for Chess. And, um, I remember this whole thing. Actually, they asked me to come out too. <laughs> and yeah, this is true. This is true. Uh, they asked me to come out back in this period. Kevin Collins was asking me, uh, would I come out and see you know the outtakes? You know, he, he says these movies are two and a half hours long. I'm trying to cut them down to ninety minutes for distribution through uh, my video distributor and I would sit through these things we have a couple of drinks and other friends would come by and I, he'd say what do you think and i say well why don't just just make a fuck film because <laughs> the outtakes of these things were so long and I was like you know just cut out the, the plot and just you know you can, you can make some money making a fuck film by just drinking <laughs> because you know they're trying to cut out the fucking and then make a movie yeah and you wouldn't believe what I saw. The outtake versions are uh, really long. And so anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, it's a conversation you and I should have. <laughs> anyway, uh, Brian's a, I, his band, the Ubangis, I always liked them. They used, I met them at Chiller years ago. And uh, so Kevin Collins said to me, he said, Brian's coming out to Spain for the shoot. Would you want to come? I said, Really? To, to watch Jess work and he said but you have to fly yourself out but I'll put you up Oof. and I said yeah and I looked into it and the flights at those days were very prohibitively expensive and also the notice was kind of short so I said man I can't go oh you sure I said yeah I don't have $2,000 for a flight you know <laughs> plus you know I have to get my job three weeks notice to let them know I'm taking off a month yeah, right. So Brian went out, and he he already did the score for uh, Vampire Blues, which is pretty decent. And uh, just since he was hanging out there and shooting, Jess uh, let him do the score for Blind Target. And uh, Brian's in Blind Target. And I'll tell you, Brian's uh, documentary, Antenna Criminal, is really good because you could see how this period Jess Franco movie got made. Yeah, you know, Jess is chain smoking like twenty cigarettes in ten minutes. Uh, 
He argues when his uh, Rachel Shepherd, the great Rachel Shepherd, who is not Rachel Shepherd, she's a Spanish woman who's dumb, <laughs> cannot speak speak her English lines phonetically, and you see how Jess gets really, really frustrated, <laughs> and he makes her do it over and over, and she's really upset, and then Jess walks into the other room and has another cigarette. Um, you see how they're supposed to be driving and so low budget. He has two guys with uh, palm fronds just waving at <laughs> the car. Uh, it's 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 great to see. Uh, I, I think Brian did a really good job. Uh, yeah, but I mean, he's the point is, that, uh, no matter what. Okay, yes, and I'm to go out and see Franco and all stuff, but he's making blind target. I mean, <laughs> terrible. Yeah, yeah. Cover. Like, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so why would you want if you're going to sell this to an audience? Okay, let me see a documentary on the making of you know 2001. Okay. Let me see a documentary on making a blind target, really? <laughs> well, he was out there. That's what happened. Yeah. Um, they prevented him from releasing it for a few years, too. Wow. Because uh, uh, there was some disagreement with Jess. And uh, originally, Amber, uh, we just spoke of her. Amber right. Newman was supposed to be in this film, and she was fired. Right. Uh, so there was a whole bunch of shit that went down. And then it got worse from here. Killer Barbies well, from Dracula. Yeah, well, actually, you forgot Vampire Junction, uh, Incubus, uh, oh. and then, like you said, Killer Bars Meet Dracula. Uh, you know, like as, as much as I loved the first film and loved the band, Killer Bars versus Dracula is unfucking watchable. Even my wife, who is like an even bigger fan of the Killer Barbies than I am, which if you can believe this, uh, it's kind of like I, I got her into various punk bands, and she became bigger fans than I am. She's a bigger fan of the Cramps than I am, which is hard to do. Uh, she's a bigger fan of Social Distortion than I am. Uh, she's a bigger fan of the Killer Barbies than I am. You can name off bands like, oh, well, Minor Threat, maybe I'm still a bigger fan, but it's close. Um, Youth Brigade, whatever. But you get to something like this, and even she's sitting there like, this film is terrible. <laughs> Why would we buy this? Uh, it is so, so bad. It's shot on video. Uh, it's Yeah, it's a vehicle for the band, but it's a bad one. The only good thing about it is you get a couple tracks from their last album, Sin Is In, which... Uh, you know, it's not as good as some of their early material, but there's definitely good songs on it that we still love and play all the time. Uh, there's a fella, I think it was like Bella B from some like uh, German punk band. I don't remember who the hell the band was. Uh, and some bald guy running around to, trying to be Dracula. It's like a comedy. Oh, uh, no, that bald guy was, uh, uh, gosh, that's somebody we know. Who? Oh, <laughs> uh, gosh. Although uh, Sombrell, I think. Really? Yeah. Uh, Lena's in it and looking very, very butch. Uh, she's kind of, you know, obviously she's gotten older. She's gotten silver, but she cut her hair in this really... But she uh, got a little heavy, yeah. Yeah, but not even that, but the, the haircut with that butch haircut and everything. And she's trying to be, I don't know, sadistic slash sexy. And she's, I don't know, she's, what was she, like the club owner or the, the bar owner or something? Oh, I don't she, there's like a little cantina. so bad, man. It, it just hangs around this little cantina that's nearby a graveyard and... Uh, you know, the, the Dracula's coming up, and he's coming up during the Killer Barbies concert. And I, uh, but did you, did you see the next two, though? The Flowers of Perversion or Flowers of Passion? <laughs> Passion? No, I did not. I, I, I have those. <laughs> I, I, sorry I, for you. <laughs> I said them rather strangely, didn't I? I have those. Um, they're both uh, shaved pussy lesbian munching movies. <laughs> Yeah, uh, they, they, that's exactly what they are. Venus, like, uh, 
in the first one, she's and like anybody that reads my vinegar syndrome reviews knows that that is like my not not quite a turnoff, but my least favorite thing when it comes to like okay, time for the fast forward button. Really, we need to see this for twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I know, but the hairy days were over. Anyway, um, yeah, she sits <sighs> central stage, and I don't know what the story was. I can't even remember. But the Rachel Shepard in quotations and Fada Morgana, another new Frank Gold discovery with a <laughs> fake fucking name. Um, they're both, you know, they, they, they lick her thighs and then, you know, other stuff. And it's 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 like hard softcore and then it gets then it becomes hardcore and it's ridiculous. And then it, the other one's just like it. So both of those are shot back to back. But like I said, I mentioned Snake Woman before. I mean, yeah. I don't anything more you say, say about those two. I can't, I can't imagine what. Uh, but, um, you know, it's trying to be like one of his older films. It doesn't succeed. Yeah. But compared to the shit that he was putting out during this period, it's watchable enough, I guess. Uh, definitely not something I would seek out, anybody that's listening to this. But, you know, it's the kind of thing, well, I got it in my collection. I don't think I'd dump it unless somebody offered me some you know, reasonable money for it. Uh, and I don't think anybody ever would uh, because it's that sort of a film. Um, I think that was a movie that Kevin Collins knew had potential. And yeah. that was uh, unfinished by Jess for a long time. And he, like, really, really worked him to finish that picture. Um I think he was hoping, Collins was hoping that it would finally be one of the pictures that would, after a lot of misfires, bring Jess back. It felt like it should have worked, and it didn't. Yeah. That's exactly right. So. Yeah. Uh, and then there's ones where, you know, again, I was just like, no, nah, I'm done with Franco. Uh, for the next, you know, four or five years, he does like one a year, pretty much. A Bad Day at the Cemetery. Parts one and two, don't ask me what that means. Right. Uh, I haven't seen that. Believe it or not, <laughs> next year was Takeaway Spirit, whatever the hell that is. Well, that uh, that was that was um, that was a very interesting thing. That was about the time that uh, my friendship with the producer broke up for uh, unknown reasons, and uh, uh, right before it did, uh, he had told me he had an idea. That's why it's co-written. Uh, credit goes to him. For a haunted Chinese restaurant. <laughs> and I'm sure just by probably said, what the fuck? You know? The low main is coming to get you. <laughs> That's why you might know it's filmed in Brooklyn, Spain, and China. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, and, and Brad Fricker's, I know, was a friend of people, and Amy Brown was another friend. So I think at that time he's calling in fa- uh, favors for producing money. Wow. I've never seen this. I don't know anybody who's seen it. <laughs> I, I wouldn't go out of my way to see it. Yeah. Because uh, the next one up, I remember there was a review in Video Watch that Polo. was very positive about it. Yeah, Tim Lucas loved this film. And just reading the review, reading, not, not the positivity that he was talking about, but reading the review of what this film was about and what it was like, I knew I would never want to see it. So, yeah. yes, Paul Paul. Um Al Perriera versus the Alligator Woman. God knows what the hell that is. It actually took him a year. He took a break there. So this is like two years later. And then Revenge of the Alligator Women. And Which is then, posthumous, I think. Yeah. yeah, that was it. He was gone. So, uh, unfortunately, he ended his career on a real dud note. <laughs> well, you know, I, I I have to say that... Uh, I have to say around this time period, 2007, 2005 to 2007, was just 
just was making these movies, and I got to know him a little bit. He was old and sick. He was a little on and off sick, but I, I, I said to him, I threw Kevin Collins, I said, look, you know, I, I just wrote this book on Italian horror film directors, and I'm having a tough time because my publisher was giving me a tough time about cutting. They want me, it was a big, I gave him a big book, and they wanted me to cut, cut, cut. It was McFarlane. I said, I'm looking for somebody to write the forward. And I know Jess is Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, no, he loves those things. And, and and he wrote me an email, and he did it for me. He wrote the forward. Wow. And you know, Lena followed up with the email. And the other day, I'm going through my email, and I still kept it. From Rose nice. Rosemarie Amaral. Yes. That's and I still have Lena's email in my freaking Yahoo box. I'm like, wow. I just saw that and it kind of made me sad in the way because like she's been dead for like two or three years and uh, yeah, and, like, she passed on before him, I believe. Yeah, maybe she? four years. And yeah. I'm like, wow, that's that's so bizarre. Yeah. But uh, you know, I I have to say, uh, Jess was a, a one of a kind filmmaker. He was a force to be reckoned with. He was. Yeah. Uh, he was a, a rebel, and yep. he was uh, an experimenter, and he was uh, he threw shit against the wall sometimes to see what would stick and what would not. He didn't care if it didn't. Yep. He cheated producers because if they get money to make <laughs> one movie, he would make five. Yep. He wasn't a stupid man. Um, the funny thing is, talking to Jess Franco, he, he the movies he liked was like. Spielberg and singing in the rain <laughs> and like big American musicals and saving private Ryan. You're like, really? <laughs> Cause you look at just Franco movie and you didn't see that, uh, trans translated, but, um, he was a nice guy, crazy, crazy, nice guy. He was a maniac, but, uh, I appreciate it. Anytime I got to know him and anytime I got to deal with him. Uh, but, that being said, I think the last couple of years, if he actually got some decent funding, we could have left, went out on a better note. You know? Yeah. My take on Frank, on not having ever met him or, or known anything about him other than just you know, through his filmography and reading things about him, uh, was that I had always heard from all of his co-stars, especially his long-standing ones, how intelligent and cultured oh, yeah. he was. Uh, he's more or less a polymath. Uh, I have recordings of him doing jazz. Obviously, he was a huge jazz aficionado. If you watch his old films, sure. constantly filming in these like European strip clubs with jazz and stuff. Um, very much a cineast. He's very familiar with the dialectic of film, if you will. Uh, you know, he's one of those guys that uh, may or may not have dealt with people like Orson Welles. Um, you know, he. His, like you said about his films, he kind of threw shit at the wall, see what stuck, and did it his own way. Yeah. And, you know, for better or worse. And I think that for the earlier part of his career, if you take it up through, even into, like, you know, the very early 80s, but, you know, more definitely the, the 60s and the 70s, um, he has a tremendous body of films that, you know, yeah, individually, most of them may not hold up, especially for the more hardened uh, cineast, I guess. Um, but they have an atmosphere that's all their own. Yeah. 
They're uniquely oneric, uh, which is a word that we toss around a lot when it comes to him and Roland in particular, more yes. than any other directors. Yeah, we'll come uh, up next week again, folks. <laughs> you know, and more so, I find that as much as Roland is like that, he has one recurring dream that he keeps going back to from his childhood. He's very edible in that respect. Yeah. Franco was not. Franco was kinky. Franco was a Sadian. Franco was a pervert, if you will, but uh, he also had this sort of refined sensibility where as sleazy as he got, and he could get very sleazy, obviously he was directing porn and sleazy porn at that from what I hear, um, there was still a veneer of class and restraint to it that yeah. you would not get with someone like, you know, say a Joe D'Amato or any of the Italian directors, or, or you know, even to some extent uh, from the few boring porn things that I'd seen from Roland, um, this guy, I don't know, there's something about him that said class. Now, was he really like that in person? I don't know, probably not. But that's what comes across when you're watching his films, and there's a lot more of value in his filmography than there is crap. Uh, and, you know, I have not seen any of his porn stuff, but, you know, whatever you, you have, I would, I would love to see it, yes. Uh, yes. Just because, you know, I am a, I, I love this kind of stuff. I'm, I'm an omnivore when it comes to directors uh, and uh, things that I love. And... You know, I I am a Franco fan. I mean, if you want to name uh, filmmakers that I always know I can trust, he is definitely one. Um, to some extent, you could say that about somebody that's a low rank out like the model, but it's not the same level. Oh. Uh, you know, Franco is one of those guys like, and you know, even somebody that I like a lot in certain periods. Like, okay, I like Fulci from the '80s and going into the '90s. But do you like Fulci in the 60s when he was doing comedies and Franco Ciccio and stuff? Well, not really. Um, you know, you could say that about Mario Bob. Okay, yeah, who's pretty steady all the way through. But is it the same thing as a Franco? No. Uh, and you go to all sorts of people, not just European directors, but to American directors. Well, I, I enjoy Herschel Gordon-Lewis films. Well, what is it like Franco? Hell no. Um, he is probably the most consistent uh, not necessarily my favorite in that respect, but maybe he is. Uh, because when it comes down to it, it's like, well, whose films, if you had to keep like one director in your entire collection, who would you keep? I'm like, I guess it would probably be Franco. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'll have to say that. Uh, and I'll say that honestly. Um, I really do love his stuff. There's no question about it. So uh, that's my close on this one. Anything else you wanted to? No, no. Well said. Well said. I, I agree with you. It's, yeah. All right, so uh, our apologies to the audience who had to deal with our uh, all these technical glitches that happened last Thursday. It was not our fault. There was some kind of issue going on with our host server, Blog Talk Radio. They acknowledged it hours afterwards. Oh, by the way, we're having a problem with the whatever. And, you know, there was this sort of abortion floating around there for a couple of days. Anybody that downloaded it, God knows, you know, you had a lot of hemming, hawing, and stalling, trying to get uh, Lewis on air. And then we did. We were there for like maybe 45 minutes to an hour, and then we dropped off, and I couldn't even shut the show down, you know, there's kind of like the whole music playing, and it's just a disaster. So, anyway, at this point, obviously, if you're hearing this, we have gone ahead over the weekend to do this special recording just to close this one out, finish up our discussion of Franco and his enormous And it's epic length. It's epic. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, we've edited what was there from that week to this new material, and here we go. So that's it. We are finally done after three shows and four attempts at going through just Franco's 
huge filmography. Uh, we're finally complete. So next week, uh, or actually by the time you hear it, it will probably be this week or maybe even already aired. We will be tackling the French yeah. scene. I don't know how much of it we will be able to cram in. Maybe we'll get to it all, maybe we'll get to some of it. But we are definitely going to tackle Jean Roland. We are definitely going to speak to Eurocine. And we will also touch on some other directors, uh, you know, Jean-Marie Palladi. Um, Max we, we Picus, mentioned yeah. Max Picus. We mentioned René Chateau. People don't think of the French scene as being as vital as, say, the Italian scene. And it's not. But there's enough going on there. There are enough directors of interest in the cult arena. You know, Michelle Lewan, I mean, ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, we, we're definitely going to try to touch on what we can here. So that is our next show. And thank you for joining us and being patient with the <laughs> the issues that we had to deal with to get the show out to you. Have a good evening, everybody. Have a good evening. Hope you enjoyed the show.